This episode of Long Walk Short Drink is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash LWSD. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash LWSD. I really hate that his name is Johnny because it just sounds too cliched. Like, oh, Johnny. Like, I I, yeah. she says that. I think she says that multiple times. Like, oh, Johnny. Like, know, it's a little weird. You know. And the sound, the noises that they included there, like you could hear her skin like mashing against the wood. And oh, oh yeah, that was a little... But if you're going to act like a horse's ass, yeah, <laughs> and I'm not going to give you the flashlight and you're going to be buried alive in the dark. Can you hear me? Hell yeah. Can you hear me? Oh, hell yeah. Awesome. Yes. Cool. So um, I, let's start the live broadcast. Yeah. Then let's it'll, get into it. Then it'll put that, it'll put that out uh, out there too. So Ash will just come in a little later. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we, we, we can just do the Dead Zone Book Club yeah. discussion, I figured. And then we'll, I'll just call her. She can come up and that'll probably be a good time for us to take a pee break. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, uh, well, I was just going to suggest maybe angling the camera for so you're front and center <laughs> until she comes along to fill out oh, that other side. Yeah, gotcha. Because I how's that? I do enjoy those video. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> I like that t-shirt. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to start the broadcast now. All right, we are live. Hello. Hello, world. Hello, internet. <laughs> we love it when you do what you're supposed to do. You are making such strides in this uh, area of our podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> the setup, oh. you, you just tweeted the picture, a panoramic picture of your setup, and it's really astounding to see all of that you've got lined up to make this happen. Yeah, it, it uh, but it works. And it's amazing, though. It looks like a lot, but a lot of it is like just one-time setup. You know, I, I don't do a lot in my home office. I do work from home from time to time. Um, but it, this stuff is easy enough to just like push out of the way. So like my mixer, it doesn't, I don't need to tear that down every time, you know, oh, cool. like I just leave and my mic is like attached to a boom to my desk. So like I just boom that out of the way and tuck it over into the wall and you don't see it and it's good to go. So, nice. um, mine's a little build a kit each time, <laughs> but, uh, it's not much to assemble. So it's, and I get to be out on the porch, which it's been, it's probably really hot in Ohio today, huh? Oh my gosh. It was atrocious. Yeah. It's been like that here in Minnesota. It seems like the, the, you guys are usually a little behind our, our weather system reaches you a few days after. Yeah. And it's just been unbearable. And right now it's breezy and cool and I'm on the porch and it's awesome. 
So oh, that's the spectacular. The, the, uh, what do you call it? The my itinerant setup. You know, my portable player and stuff makes that possible. So I can be out here with my Star Wars lamp, my bowl of beers, awesome. and my recorder, and uh, yeah, shoot the Shinola with my buddy. <laughs> Uh, I so the tentative title that I put on the live broadcast was uh, was Ash kills Bill. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I like that. Um, so uh, we'll we'll see how that how that goes. <laughs> so uh, if you have to bear with me for one second here, because I got to get my I have to get my setup set up. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you want um, Do you want to crack beers uh, at the same time, or should I just Smoke them all like because oh. I got them. Oh no! Wait, hang on. We'll do it together. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. Hold, I'll hold my shorts. <laughs> Keep my shirt on. Uh, That's the phrase. <laughs> oh, there. That looks perfect. Okay. I would like to crack one together. You want to? Oh hell yeah! Let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, so I got more pounders. Oh. That. Oh yeah! Hell yeah! Let me, let me grab. Yeah, these these pounders. So I've never heard of this. We made great use of it, or you well, you definitely tell me tell me about these pounders. I've never heard that phrase before. Um, so there's 16 ounce PBRs. So there's like your normal there's no your normal 12 ounce, which is just a can of beer, and then the 16 ounce, which there's 16 ounces in a pound. So that's a pounder, nice. right? And then there's the 22 ounce cans, which those are the big boys. And you call and those are called double deuces for twenty two, <laughs> okay. right? Uh, so, but these are pounders. Nice. So, and I got my uh, my Surly Furious. It's a pint. Uh, my pale ale, or what is it? Well, pint six isn't a pint sixteen ounces. Yeah, or I was just wondering. That. Um, I think it's size. sixteen. Yeah. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. So you got a pounder too. See? Yeah. Let's yeah. crack it and then get into yeah. this. Uh, so I'm, All right. I'll do a, a Palmer's pick count on three. Oh, three. Great. Oh, three. Sorry, my nope. fingernail. We got up. it. They still they still cracked at the same time though. Yes, I'm learning the. Um, I'm still, well, it'll be listeners. Hopefully, will have enjoyed <laughs> prior to this episode our revenge show extravaganza, where we um, we had Moto and Shamrock and Mr. J. All on to talk about our our favorite uh, revenge films, but I definitely learned some of the um, the specifics and and uh, the chaos. You know, it's like if you have four open microphones of differing uh, character and quality, capturing five guys drink, drinking and and talking passionately about their uh, favorite revenge films for four hours on an asynchronous, you know, sporadic internet stream. The results can be quite chaotic. So I've been working over. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I've been working to over the last week to bring some clarity to that chaos so that our listeners can experience it. Uh, the discussion with the uh, honor, courage, and commitment with which we brought <laughs> uh, forth on the day. Uh, but yeah, it's, there's a, there's a quite a lag that just changes all the time in between like what, you know, what you hear when, and the more people you have on the stream, the more that that gets exacerbated. So yeah, oh, the, the, the cracking of the not, beer made me think of that. Yeah, that's, that's just, weird. It just is, you know, the way it is, you know. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess that, I mean, we're going to have a certain level of that with the, um, 
with just di- everybody's different computer speeds. It's the same thing exactly. like when people play those online uh, games, you know, you get all those different connection speeds and it just picks up at different times. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm, it's a shame that it's, I, I am willing to bet though. It's going to be amazing once it, once we get to hear it, like it's yeah. gonna, cause it was such a great conversation to be a part of. And me, I want to watch, I want to rewatch every one of those movies that we talked about me just too. because we talked about them. Absolutely. You know I was, I I was like, so ready for that. Like, and even old boy, I want to talk about again, just because, and I watched that right before we did that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still want to watch that one again. Nice. You know, like I want to watch, just like go through all of them again. Yeah. So. And what was the crow uh, came out 23 years ago on the 13th, which was um, like four days ago. So after we recorded the, the show. Um, yeah. So that was, that was cool. And actually... <laughs> But I but I realized too, like uh, processing the the footage or the the audio is like I didn't talk about the actual movie very much. <laughs> so. yeah, no, we did. I I think though we were even aware of that uh, during the the show. Yeah, you yeah. know, it just we knew, we focused more on the comic, but that's that's okay because that's what inspired the movie. You know, yeah, and, yeah. I mean, um, I get to I, I obviously talk endlessly about the movie. You know what's crazy? What day of the week was the thirteenth? I'm look at my calendar. Something just occurred to me that would be be pretty cool if if it was true. Uh, so that was Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting and unusual. So I live in a suburb, uh, kind of a distant suburb of Minneapolis, and so we were somewhere in between in another suburb. The bride and I doing some grocery shopping. We're walking in, and. Uh, to our left, we, we we often comment about people's appearance. <laughs> you know, we'll be like, right. there's so-and-so, and that's like so-and-so and so-and-so actor's kid brother, you know, that kind of thing. And right. uh, we're like, yeah, it's Ernie Hudson. <laughs> but it was <laughs> actually Ernie <laughs> Hudson. That's um, so awesome. And, uh, you know, we were trying to be cool and trying to not look directly at him, and, and, uh, and nobody was... I don't know if everyone else was just doing the same or they didn't realize it was Ernie Hudson, but we're like what in the world is he doing here? You know, is there a convention right. or something? And, and there wasn't that we could, uh, that we knew of. So we don't know. Um, but the Brian and I were both like, oh, huh. and uh, I don't think I'd quite put together that it was the 23rd anniversary of the Crow theatrical release. And of course he's a huge part of that movie. Um, right. And I'm just, I'm just not, I just am not the guy who really needs to meet, his uh his his heroes or people admires i did want to meet james obar when that opportunity came up right because that made sense to me after all these years and i just like just wanted to shake that particular guy's hand but for the most part like i i'm fine not to meet my hero i don't know what to say you know so right uh but she was bold enough to as he was leaving uh the grocery store uh she just kind of i didn't even know what she was going to do she said something to me just and then she walked a couple steps and she just goes, Ernie Hudson, I'm a big fan of your work. And he, and he turned around and I said, I'm her husband. I'm an even bigger fan. Uh, and he goes, oh, thank you very much. He was super, super nice. And he said, happy Mother's Day. And then he left. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and the bride and I do not have human children. But <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, he yeah. wouldn't know that. But I, I'd heard from, you know, listening to podcasts of people who weren't famous, then became famous, talk about like, the con circuit or interacting with their 
the, with their fans and people, different people like different things. But I think I've always heard that people appreciate a short, quick, Hey, I'm a fan interaction that we don't like bother right. about much. So we, we sort of successfully had one of those. We did successfully have one of those and, uh, that dude. And then we're like, both of us didn't know what to do. We were, we were trying to shop and we were, but we were like weak in the knees. <laughs> like we didn't know what to do with ourselves. And, we're, and, and so first we're, we were going to get like fancy seafood. And she goes like, I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Or I think it was me to say something first. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm sorry. Big crack of thunder here. I just said it was oh, nice no. and <laughs> none that happened. No, it's going to thunderstorm. Yeah. yeah. Very possibly. But so yeah, you were eventually, a little choppy. So I, oh. um, we'll be cognizant of your internet connection. Yeah. Uh, with the storm coming in so shoot yeah we've weathered it in the past i hope i hope it doesn't get us today but yeah and so we we were like what the fuck like that was ernie hudson what was he doing here and oh my god we talked to him and, and why is it affecting us this way and then we we were both just like he is incredibly handsome like i don't know how to say really it. The guy looks amazing just f- and then we're like how old is he he's 71 he is the most gorgeous yeah. 71 year old I've ever seen. <laughs> that is. Oh, I am not kidding. Like, I, is I, he like really, but he's like really big too, right? Like really tall and like yeah. really like solid. Yeah. And, and he's like, I, he, he's probably in better shape now than he was, you know, 20 years ago when the, he was in the crow. Um, God. Yeah. He, he looked, he's just like everything you want out of Ernie Hudson to see him walk around. He's had like a t-shirt and jeans on. Just oh, looking man. like Ernie Hudson, but like the best possible version of Ernie Hudson ever. And he's fucking 71. I yeah. would guess only because That's he's been so around awesome. so long. Maybe I would have guessed 50. But when I found out 71, then so we've just been kind of beside ourselves about that. And then I realized like, yeah, I just talked about that movie and I didn't even mention you. So in any event, oh, that's... so the, the crow, yeah, so I, I kind of watched the crow on mute that night. While I was editing the show, I've been watching a lot of things on on mute with the subtitles on. When I've been editing the Revenge show, but yeah, I'm gonna have to watch Man on Fire, even the '82 version. I think. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm gonna have to get. I want to. I want to see that because the the '82 version is the one that's set in Italy, right? Like that mm-hmm. one takes place in Italy. Yeah, I think so. And that one's based on the book. Oh right, right. And so, it's sort of a true story. Did we get into that? Like, I thought there was no, an element well, of truth to it. Thing, that's the thing that I, I thought we touched on it. Um, like all the pieces that you think are just added as like Hollywood action fluff, right? Uh, actually happen. So like the butt bomb is a great example. They <laughs> actually say like, uh, I think it might be in the behind the scenes documentary on the DVD is where I heard this, but they, they talk about like the guy actually in real life that they based the character in the book on that. Then the movies were based on actually stuck a bomb up a guy's ass to get information out of him. <laughs> yes. And then after he got his information, he blew up the bomb. Like he took like, so um, I mean, that's, you can't, like they say, you can't write stuff this good. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's a, um, it's officially pouring here. So if the rain is distracting to you, let me know. But it's not coming. Oh in no, I don't hear. Any, I don't hear anything. But our listeners might hear it in the uh, podcast. It's just the elements. Yeah, um, it's just the way it goes. Um, so that's essentially have... too what's been going on with me. I've been working on the uh, making the revenge extravaganza make sense, you know, and kind of has sound as clean as possible to pass off Remoto, and hopefully folks have heard and enjoy that. 
Uh, and then we saw Ernie Hudson. Oh, we saw Guardians of the Galaxy. That was the other thing. The sequel. We saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Ash yeah. and I did. I was, I was so charmed by that. Uh, it, was, it was excellent. Like, yeah. I, I, I have to hand it to Disney and Marvel. They have time and time again outdone themselves with the sequels. It's usually the other way around. Like they get worse and worse as the more come out, but yeah, it, not with this Marvel expanded universe. It's really, uh, they just get better and better. Like the second um, Captain America is so much better than the first Captain America. And yeah. when we came home Civil and, and she wanted to watch so Civil awesome. War, yeah, that yeah, was like I was like, it's the Crow's twentieth anniversary. We saw Ernie Hudson. He wish you a happy Mother's Day. You want to watch that? And she's like, no, nah, that's kind of icky. Nah. I want to watch Civil War. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can totally respect that, though. Um, yeah, they're real feel... They, oh, yeah, they do it all right. I, f- I find the, that, that I have this surprising... To me, it's kind of an odd viewpoint on it, where it's like, she'll want to buy these movies and own them, and it's not as though we should, she often reaches for them to, to watch them. And I found... And I admitted, her to, re, her, I admitted it to her in the last few days, where it's like, a lot of times when you bring up those movies... Like we watch because we recently rewatched the first Guardians, and she first yeah. sort of throws them into like, "Hey, let's watch this." Like I agree to it, but I'm not excited. And if and then we watched Guardians, I'm like, "Oh man, this is such a charming movie!" Like I'm glad we watched this. I don't know why I yeah. had that thought about it. I felt the same way about the theatrical movie, uh, and I felt the same way about Civil War. But like, I, I, it was after Civil War, I was like, "Why do I even think this?" I should just know that I'm going to really enjoy this viewing, <laughs> regardless if it's a right. multiple like, one or whatever. That's the- that's along the same lines as the way I look at them is at this point, it's not that they're bad. It's just, it's like if you have a really good ice cream flavor, right? And you sit down with the whole pint in a, in a tablespoon and the flavor's really good. And that first like half of the pint, but the second half, you're just in it to just like, I'm going to fucking finish this ice cream. <laughs> yes. It doesn't even taste good anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I am oh, getting good. through this. Like, uh, <laughs> but, but. I am getting through this fucking pint. But your tongue is just like saturated with that flavor. It's the same thing with these movies. Like, they're so good. It's not that they're bad, but they're all kind of like so good in the same way that they all just kind of feel the same and they feel really stagnant. I, it would be blasphemy. I think to call them stagnant because they're so action packed, but it's just, you're just saturated with that story and that genre. And that's why when we get things that are different, they do so well. Um, even if they're, even if they're still in the action genre, like Mad Max is definitely not a comic book movie. Right. Yeah. But like that thing got nominated for tons of Oscars. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like so um yeah, I I uh the whole unit the whole expanded universe and I love that you know Disney and Marvel were able to pull it off. They're ki- I mean they're the- killing it. Like the, I can't yeah. imagine it being better. And I love the continuity they have through television. It's you know, where it's like if one person yeah. is one character, they're that character. I don't know, like, 
they're just doing it. And, and there's the, a really, a really good website that tells you what order to watch everything in. Really? Like, Ooh. Yeah, like the whole Marvel expanded, like cinematic universe. I keep saying expanded universe. It's the Marvel cinematic, cinematic universe. universe. Yeah. Sorry. Geez. Oh, you'll have to hit us with that link in the. Uh, yeah, I'll see if can I can find that. Share. And, uh, um, let me put a. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to see that. I love these ideas of people of, because I get. I have such a strange obsession <laughs> to like the chronology in which things were made and yeah, just a very particular way of consuming media based on my own identification of like how people process their lives as people through the creative things that they make. So I'm always, like I said, that's why I ultimately stopped pursuing an English degree because all I really cared about was what the author <laughs> kind of the, the trajectory of the author's career and how the things in their own life and society informed their work and how their work evolved. And so then anyway, I get stuck in those things. Like right now I, I'm, I'm, I'm on several people's career track. I'm like working my way through the Springsteen catalog again in conjunction with the book, working my way through Stephen King, working my way through Bruce Lee as well. <laughs> so like, oh, so that's why I think maybe when like a suggestion comes up, not that the bride would be interested in watching any of Thing related to those things but when she's like let's watch the guardians of the galaxy i'm like i don't know i saw that but then we put it on and it's like oh it's so goddamn good let's watch it, civil it, war it, ah it, okay oh it's so goddamn good so it's uh it, it man, is there. so good it's just so good i don't know um and they're and they do such a good job you know we've we've touched on this multiple times uh and we talk about how Stephen King is one of them. We talk about how J.K. Rowling is one of them. Uh, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, the guy that made uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, is it George Mar- Norton? George R. George R. R. Martin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, they build a universe, you know, and and they and Quentin Tarantino is, ah, is yeah. one of these people. You know, they they build. I love the idea where their work all exists in this same plane of existence. Um, and why shouldn't it? Why, why should mm-hmm. you limit yourself to one? Um, this is one contained story. Why not? Cause them all kind of exist in the same world. Uh, it's very romantic. I, I like the whole idea about it. And uh, yeah, it's, I was just, uh, I was sitting down uh, for some beers with some guys from my, from the small town where I live, guys that I didn't really know very well, except for this one guy who invited me out. And we kind of uh, got, got into it as well. And he, he gave me, I don't think he me- meant to, but some kind of spoiler-y things about Stephen King's career in terms of like the gunslinger. I don't want to spoil any. Well, I mean, if it's spoiled for me, what, <laughs> well, but he, he you're mentioned. Not spoil, you're not going to spoil Dark Tower, any, nothing Dark Tower for r- me. Right. So he was, he was explaining how Stephen King is part, like as a writer is part of that series somehow, like as himself. Yeah. <laughs> he just, that was the most knowing, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, and that blew much, my mind. I was not expecting. Why, why would much, I? That's so crazy. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's a little, 
for the record, well, I, I would need to confirm this, but I'm pretty sure I ran across somewhere. Uh, he had said that he regretted putting himself in those books. Like, if, uh, that's that's the one thing he regrets. But I don't know how he would have written them without himself being in there because they, he is a pretty, pretty crucial part. So, well, speaking of 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 Mr. King, we have a, a Stephen oh, King yeah. book club. Well, well, we should say like welcome, welcome to Long Walk Short Drink <laughs> episode twenty three. Yes, we haven't indeed. even said that yet, right? Yes. Welcome. Um, the, I'm pretty sure my my house is gonna get lifted up Wizard of Oz style. So. Oh shit! <laughs> no, I mean it's shit. fine. It's just raining hard. All right. No, it's, but uh, but he- um, hi and hello. Thank you for joining yeah, us. Yeah, well, yeah. We hello, live everybody in the podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, welcome, welcome to Long Walk Short Drink episode 23. So yeah, you were talking about Stephen King, and let's go ahead and say at this point in time. Go ahead and get started on our book club. Uh, the first edition of the dark or the dead zone. I almost <laughs> said the dark tower. See, you got dark or tower dark on my half. brain now. A lot of dark or the dark half. Yeah. Um, no, the dead zone book club. Let's do it. Hey, Palmer here. Dave and I are so excited to be doing this long walk, short drink book club reading of the dead zone by Stephen King. Materials for this project were provided by the site bookrags.com. With over 6,000 study guides available on their website, bookrags.com has everything you need to study and ace your lit classes. Enter the promo code PODCAST to get 15% off your subscription. Thanks so much to the great people over at bookrags.com for helping to make this book club possible. So keep listening and keep reading. Have a good one. So uh, yeah, welcome to the first. Uh, the, this is the first conversation that we get to have on uh, um, the dead zone. Yeah, we've been teasing this for a long time. We I have. was so happy we, to dig into this book. We absolutely have. No, that's great, and uh, it's so exciting. We're finally here. Like it, we're here. It's great. In the so, dead zone. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So I walk, it used to be so nuanced, but now I just love when he just shouts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think we should go ahead and enroll some, roll in our promo for the sponsor? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you wanted me to say? Yeah. <laughs> this episode of Long Walk Short Drink is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash LWSD. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash LWSD. Hey, hey everybody. <laughs> Palmer here again. Palmer here. <laughs> um, and I have to tell you, like, uh, now that we're back, I, I like the book rag stuff was invaluable in my preparation for, for this if I was teaching an English class, this is what I want to say about book rags. I totally though would subscribe to book rags because there's like, there's a one week, a four week, an eight week, and I think maybe even a 12 week set of lesson plans on how to cover this book. There's like, I think 60 short answer essay questions. There's, 
all these different activities they have planned out. It's so awesome. Like there's a ton of crap in here that we're going to get into as we go on through the, through the book club. I'm amazed that they have one for, you know, a piece of popular fiction like this from what, like 1979. When was this published? Um, that's a great question. 79. Yeah. Yeah. 79. So, um, but what I was thinking was, I was just thinking like, let's just, we both have the co- the same copy of the book, and I wanted to capitalize on that. Yeah. Does yours say book club edition, by the way? On the inner f- flap in the bottom, uh, it's like the bottom corner of the front. This is kind of fun, because we're doing a book club. Um, mine did not say book Oh, yours must mine be says, fancier. Mine says oh, yours jacket. is black on the inside. Mine is white on the inside. Oh. Jacket. Uh-huh. I, the only difference is I think the actual dimensions of the book clubs are smaller. I think you're right, yeah. I think I have a couple um, like that. I think my shining is like that too. But well, let's just do a test. So, what's the first word on page two fifty one on yours? Oh, sorry, fifty one. Away, feeling. That's the, that's the very first word. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a laughing tiger at the top, but away, feeling that I had done more harm. Two five one. Hmm. Oh yeah, no. Oh, they're not the same. Different. That's fucking weird. Well, I guess it might have to do with the size. That's what she said. Yeah. How many pages? How many pages is yours? I guess because they wouldn't have made the font smaller, right? So that would have made the three hundred seventy-two pages for me. Oh yeah, mine's four hundred twenty-six. Jesus, that's weird. Yeah, that's weird. It seems like a smaller one should be more. All right. Well, it's good that we do the chapters. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that I do it by chapters. That's good to know. And so I will not refer to uh, page numbers. But what I was thinking was, I, I kind of have my post-its in here, like as that. a book walk. I like it. Um, so, like, let's just, I say we both have the book. Let's just flip through, and um, we can just kind of stop where we want to as we're flipping through the pages. Sure. Um, I have post-its kind of marked out. Well, and you have uh, your but, those guiding questions that you posed yeah, last so time. Let's, so let's, I was going to say, let's review the guiding questions first, and then we'll just kind of start walking through the assignment, and then we'll end with, uh, once we wrap up that conversation, I'll give the next assignment and then the next set of guiding questions. Cool, cool. And then we'll bring Ash up here, and then we'll talk about Kill Bill. Yeah. All right. Full disclosure for me, I, I wanted to make sure I was through the, uh, through what would be the assignment. So I, so I listened uh, to, the, to the book prior to having that lens through which to be listening for stuff. So I wrote stuff down as it occurred to me, and then I looked over it recently trying to kind of tie it to those. But I figured, too, with, all your, with the book rags and all the prep you've done, that, that, uh, that you'll be a good guiding shepherd, and I, I can be kind of the lost sheep that just throws out a random thought and tries to oh, connect yeah. it to uh Absolutely. I mean, I have I have the things that stuck out to me and the things that I pulled out of that book, Greg stuff that I want to touch on and talk about. Oh, good. In addition to the the guiding questions. Yeah. So well, what's um, interesting so about what I did write down is that it's stuff that just occurred to me anyways. And it's not yeah. it's not a ton of stuff, uh, but it, a lot of it did ultimately tie in. So but yeah, guide guide us through. OK, so uh, let's look at the, the questions from last week were. Um, so all of this kind of goes under the three, the three different buckets that we have, which are what's the ex what's the explicit words on the page, the implicit meaning that King might be going for, or one of the implicit meanings that maybe is he's going for. And then 
the last one is your reaction mm-hmm. to what you're reading. Some kind of reactionary question. Yeah. So um, I have, you can't see it, but I have next week's questions already written up here. Oh. Up on my dry erase board. I love so, this dry erase board. You yeah, and I are not I'm, digital natives, and uh, there are parts of that I really yeah, enjoy. Yeah, but I'm not a notebook guy, though. I, I have tried so hard to be the notebook guy, and I cannot do that. If I'm going to take notes like that, I will use my supercomputer to do that. That fits in my pocket. I've tried that, um, and I can't quite do that. I literally have four notebooks sitting right yeah. by me. <laughs> but but if, I'm, if I need to map something out, especially something that's going to stay a certain way for a certain period of time, I will hands down take, I have two dry erase boards in my office hung up like, like big ones. Like, oh, this that I, I can, love it. Like, love it that I can map stuff out and like, keep it up there. Well, what, do you, what do you got uh, on that dry erase board for the first right. assignment? Okay. So the first, the explicit was, uh, what characters and situations, uh, stick out most and why. And I, and we'll definitely get to, we'll talk about that. One of the things that I picked up from the book rags a lot was, uh, the difference between a character-driven and a plot-driven story, and this is definitely a character-driven story. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that what situations and events does King touch on that drive the bulk of his intention? So, uh, the, he uses the the backdrop of the seventies um, that this book t- takes place in to really set the tone of the book. Mm. Um, like what's going on in that era of time. It, it, it has its impact on the events of the story. So those, those events are independent of all of those things, but they're those, those true real life events. I mean, the book starts out with a disclaimer. Yeah. Um, which we'll touch on here in a second. Um, but those those real life events are always a piece of the background of this story. Um, so, what events does he touch on that might be driving that? And then the last one was, uh, what do you feel? What do you feel the importance, if any, of the scenes like the gut wrenching scenes, like the scenes with the dog, mm-hmm. uh, the scene, the car crash scene, the scene with the. Um, the scene the in the bandstand. Yeah, the, in the bandstand. Uh, what do you think? What do you, what do you think the intention of those are? What, 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 what importance do you think they might play on the rest of the story? Yeah. Why are we seeing those things? Why do you think we're seeing those scenes? Because uh, this, was a, this was an epiphany. This is kinda, can kind of be like a side guiding thought. Uh, kind of an epiphany that I had. One of the themes that we've come back to a lot uh, in this podcast is how uh, that Danny Boyle line that um, movies are about time. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. And I feel like this book, it covers a vast amount of time very quickly. And it's really hard to keep track of, at least for me, it was really hard to keep track of that passage of time mm-hmm. because it's, because books are about visuals. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah. I mean, the a time, visual me- medium yeah. is about time in a, in a, like yeah. you would think this would be totally conducive to the time portion. Um, yeah, you, you could outline it even if you wanted to, but like, 
this is all like this book is all about making the visuals for you. Right. Which is just how Stephen King writes. That's true. Like I never really thought about that about about books, but you can really create the pace. You and I have both talked about how we're slow readers. And then ultimately we often listen to books where that's what's that's interesting you say visuals because uh especially when you're listening it's it's a different experience so your mind is engaged in a different kind of thing so you're actually maybe picturing more or you know what i mean like you're not looking at the words on the page at all you're just hearing them and thus kind of visualizing that world and actually there is a sort of time constraint to it because you're listening to it at the pace of the reader whereas when when you yourself are reading a book on the page um, you can kind of create that pace. You know, you can put it down, you can come back to it. Uh, y- you can, you know, inadvertently tune out by accident and read several pages and then have to go back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a, it's a books deal with time in a very uh, interesting way in the way that they figure into our own lives, but they also deal with st- structure in a way that until say Tarantino who will come up later on the show, like you didn't see a lot in like popular American uh, films in the way that the freedom with which they kind of jump around in time. So right. it's, it's interesting that you say that about yeah, time. Movies were really linear. Right. And, and it's funny to see there's a few things with this book. I feel like this book is that Carrie was more of a refined story than this story was. Like, I almost feel like this should have come out first, you know? Oh, interesting. Um, even cause, and this is a few down the line, right? Like there's like yeah. Carrie, there's, that's what I love about Carrie. these period editions. Like it literally says also by Stephen King and it lists what there is. And at this time there was Carrie Salem's lot, the shining night shift in the stand. That's it. And then this, and then this. Comes. And so all of those, I feel are stronger books than this one. Mm-hmm. And not to say I'm not taking anything away from this book. This book is still fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I feel like he is starting to really experiment with things. That's why this feels so um, immature hmm. from a writing standpoint. Yeah. Is because all of those stories up to that point were very well told story the way stories had been told for a while right yeah and this he really starts to experiment with things that become stephen king staples oh and so it feels more amateurish but it's like he's finally getting brave enough to go outside of those tropes in those like those standbys and experiment with that stuff with this book like that's very so you know what I mean? So like he's experimenting with the the time aspect and he's experimenting with um combining real life and not real life of you know real life and fiction and and all those. It, all at the same time I feel like too this is the first one that really got that really gets starts to get even early on in this first thing political. Mm. The other ones were straight fiction. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and um, some fantasy and stuff. Well, it's interesting too, is like you have the uh the experience of being uh, this I'm going through the for listeners, I'm going through the Stephen King catalog basically in order. And so those books I listed before are the only ones that I've read. Well, I actually have read or listened to Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining, came out a few years ago. But that's it. And so but Palmer has been for like three plus years 
working through that same catalog. And some of the books he's heard multiple times. He's heard that he's read, listened to the Dead Zone multiple times in the last like month or so in preparation for this. Whereas I am yeah. your your um your uh your proxy as as I said or, or in an earlier episode. In that I'm gonna if you're encountering this book club later, you can kind of follow along the progress with me. So Palmer is the the Ben Kenobi to my. Luke Skywalker, and we're like New Hope territory too, where he's not telling him everything. <laughs> so, so I have only read up until this first assignment, but Palmer's very familiar with how the rest of it plays out. Yeah, I'm. I've been through the original audiobook twice. I've been through the James Franco. I, I'm. I am through the second reading assignment on the James Franco edition, and I re-skimmed when I went through and made my notes in here the first reading assignment in this book. This is, and this book is, this is the most I've ever been through. Aside from the dark tower books, this is the most I've ever been through a book. Oh, ever. wow. You know, and, and the, the dark tower and the Harry Potter books are different. Cause those are, those are like movies to me. Yeah, They're like cinematic. Been a lot of time you know? with those. You were saying yeah. in earlier episodes, you just alternate between listening to those series on. The, and, the, and yeah. And, um, and honestly, like the dark tower is what led me to, finally doing the Stephen King chronology was because they are all tied to the dark tower in some way. And so you want to read his other works. If you're a huge dark tower fan and I'm not, I'm realizing now as the movies get ready to come out, I'm not even a huge dark tower fan there. Are, there's always Ooh. bigger fans. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, but well, you do have that giant tattoo. You, I think that alone yeah, qualifies I, you as a huge true. Dark Tower fan. Uh, <laughs> but um, I I lost my train of thought. Well, before um, well, before we uh, d- like really truly dig in, and and I don't even think you need to defend whether or not you're a big Dark Tower fan. We should say also. So we mentioned our uh, book regs sponsor is going to help guide you as you guide me through the dead zone. Um, our other sponsor is audible, uh, dot com. Yep. And, uh, so you can go actually for you, the listeners of long walk, short drink, you can go to, uh, um, audible trial.com slash L W S D. And you can actually get a free audiobook uh, download and a free, uh, and a free 30 day trial to, uh, to check out all the, the like 180,000 titles they have to choose from. Uh, that'll work on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Uh, we are, of course, recommending you do so <laughs> to uh, to listen to the Dead Zone with us, the the James Franco narrated um, uh, edition of uh, audio edition of that book is actually just newly published. That's, in April, I April. I u- used that whole process, um, unlike Dave who bought it. Yeah, which, like a dumbass. <laughs> wait, no, wait to support. I mean, it, you know, at least you got couldn't it. Wait. You I got couldn't it, wait. Right? I didn't know they were yeah. going to give us the sponsorship. And I was like, I got to have this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I went through that whole process and I got, I got the James Franco edition of the Dead Zone for free. So it works. You should totally do it. Um, and the cool thing is, is we're going to also release this segment, these segments of the book club as their own little independent things also. So even if you're hearing this six months after this gets released, still head over to Audible's audibletrial.com slash LWSD for your free audio download. Yeah. And (laughs) And get your copy of the Dead Zone. Yeah. And 30 day trial. Get your copy of the Dead Zone. And then you can work through um, all of this book club uh, independently of the show. Yeah. 
So and we um, could be crazy like the both of us and and start back at the beginning of the King catalog and work your way through. <laughs> there you go. There <laughs> it could you take go. you years as we learned from Palmer. So as, um, so let's get, let's get into this dead zone business. Um, yeah. Where do you want to start? I know you put a um, fuck ton of uh, thought. You just said you've engaged with this book more than any other. I can see all the yeah. thousands of notes you got. Holy cow. Well, they're they're just stopping points. Like I mean. Listen, I'm going to flip to a random one so you know what, what we're dealing with here. <laughs> I mean, don't don't think that I went all out here. Okay, no, yeah. Well, that let's, that no. You downplayed so your says, Dark Tower fandom when you says, had a giant tattoo, and now you're like, I haven't really prepared at all. <laughs> this one says 22 pages on Wheel of Fortune. Like, that. that's just one little note there. Um, <laughs> So so let's, let's just go through, and I say we just, like, start flipping. Okay. Right? Like, let's just do a book walk. Okay. So that way, if listeners have a physical copy of the book, they can uh, they can grab their physical copy and kind of do this book walk with us. Oh, sure. Um, so we won't call out page numbers, but we'll just kind of we'll just try to like if we're going to talk about an excerpt, uh, we'll just start. We'll just make sure we give enough of the quote so that they they can hopefully kind of keep flipping along with us and, and find where we're at. And we're within right. the first six chapters for today. And that's all that yeah. I've read. I've actually been waiting. I'm like kind of chomping at the bit to move forward, but, but yeah, I wanted so, to kind of keep um, pace with the listeners. That's right. So we are only going through the first six chapters of the book now. And, and this is, that's a good point to bring up too. Um, Stephen King is notorious for uniquely numbering his chapters. So he has, there are six overarching chapters that each of those chapters have sub chapters. And so they'll start over. So it could be chapter three, section one, two, three. Yeah. And then when it goes to chapter four, it starts back over at one. Right. Yeah. So it's chapter four, one, yeah. two, so on. So those can kind of help. Uh, I think, I think um, my instinct is those are a little bit like scenes, you know, in a movie yeah. or something. Uh, yeah. Um, that's, I think that's what makes a good storyteller is they tell stories like a movie. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that's how mo- I feel like that's how st- oral storytelling evolved to movies is it was finally people wanted to make the pictures in their head that mm-hmm. they were, that they were seeing. Oh yeah. From, from the, the stories being told. So when well, we're going to get to a great sort of, literary yeah it's it's interesting to call tarantino literary but he definitely approached the film medium with the freedom uh that that books do and when we get it yeah. so later on i don't i don't That's know so why we uh, we should probably mention it so it's in the show notes and we stuff also- but like ash is gonna be on soon and they're gonna go through the whole yeah. bloody ordeal of kill bill yeah. as a couple and it's gonna be amazing so we should uh we should yeah, we get to the business at like hand ash, here ash pumpkin's quick so, yeah, we can also um, come back to this too, but you decide as we go. So, so Linus, no, I know you got those this. questions. Yeah. I have very few notes and can give reactions, but I know you spent a lot of time. So, so well, let's just, through. let's just walk through the book and we'll just come back to these questions where it's convenient. Okay. okay. I think we're going to like, we'll touch on all of those things. Maybe even if we don't come back to them until the end of the book walk, sure. like, but we'll just flip through this really quick. So, um, he dedicates this book to Owen. So, I love that he always works in. So his first books are all dedicated to his his wife and kids, right? Oh, I hadn't and noticed then, that, but I, now that you mention it, yeah. As um as he starts having grandchildren, his next books just get dedicated to the latest grandchildren, and then he ultimately he'll get to the point where uh, there's one book where he's like, I wanted to dedicate this book to you, person, 
unfortunately, so-and-so, his next grandchild came early, so she <laughs> gets the dedication this time. Uh, and nice. so, like, this, this poor person got bumped for a grandchild. <laughs> uh, so, um, the, so we're coming right to the author's note. So this is the first thing that kind of really hits us about the book. Um, what follows is a work of fiction. All the major characters are made up. Because it plays against the historical backdrop of the last decade, uh, the reader may recognize certain actual figures who played their parts in the 1970s. It's my hope that none of these figures has been misrepresented. There is no third congressional district in New Hampshire and no town of Castle Rock in Maine. Chuck Chatsworth's reading lesson is drawn from Firebrain by Max Brand, originally published by Dodd, Mead, and Company, Inc. So that's the, that's the author's note that starts. That's how we start into the dead zone. Oh, <laughs> I just, that just reminded me of something from a past episode that I have to correct. Like the internet nerd, um, oh, castle rock entertainment. You said that castle rock entertainment was Stephen King's production company. Um, and they produced things such as Seinfeld and such, but that is fucking wrong. Okay. Castle rock entertainment is American television and film production company founded in 1987 by Martin Schaefer, director, oh. Rob Reiner. Andrew Scheinman, Glenn Padmack, and Alan Horn. So that shows what you know, and it's a subsidiary of Time Warner Brothers. So what I think that means oh. is that it. I do think it was named for uh, Stephen King's Castle Rock. I think it's my suspicion that the internet can correct us later on is that that was the one of the that say Stand By Me because isn't that Rob Reiner? Yep. Uh, yep. I, I, that's what I think is the connection there. Um, oh, I so. got it. Okay, I mean that makes sense. Can, that's that's best I can. That's just another thing my my, my parents lied to me about. My <laughs> my dad would just lie to me about shit. Like we're finding this out, like as we're, you know, settling up their estate and everything. That they just would just lie about stupid shit, and that was one of them. Oh, like, oh that's- Yo Jimbo told me when CDs came out, like they're indestructible. <laughs> I think that's the best of his knowledge. They were and, and compared to vinyl, I suppose they're a lot more durable. But my dad told me one time I was like, because I was really big into Tom Petty, and when I was in high nice. school, because the Tom Petty Greatest Hits came out. Have you watched and that Netflix re- documentary? I've been chomping at the bit to uh, check we, out. We started it. It's like four hours long. It's a huge documentary that interests um, me. We're, but- we're, I'm seeing them on. Uh, June 7th, Ash and really? I are going with, yeah, with uh, Stan the Man and oh, his old, his wife. Nice. We're, Very we're nice. all going to eat, we're going to eat a bunch of cake and then we're going to go see uh, um, Tom Petty. And, it's the heart, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, like no. 40th anniversary or That's whatever. That's great. So, oh, man. Um, I've never fully gotten any, into them, but someday I will. Mark my words. <laughs> oh, man, it's so good. If I was going to, like, I want to start a Tom Petty tribute band. Moto, if you want to start <laughs> if you want to start a Tom Petty tribute band, I am totally in because I can sing some Tom Petty. That was your contribution was like, to, to Cabin Night. Um, the, uh, the I don't cabin. want to talk about that. That's I know, terrible. but that was that was what you felt moved to share. And so yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that goes back, though, at least. Yeah, but I love Tom now. Petty. Yeah, like that was my that was my attempt to bring a unique contribution. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> that performance is so terrible. Listen, Bowman couldn't keep time with the guitar. That's not helping. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. But it was, yeah, we all sang um, along. It's a fond memory for me. You should think of it fondly as well. Yeah, but but Moto, seriously, if you want to start a Tom Petty, <laughs> Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers tribute band, I'm totally in. Um, So... <clears throat> then we jump right into the book. So the mm-hmm. first, vine- the, the prologue of the book is where... 
it, it's really where we this is the pro it's a prologue because it prepares us for how this book is going to be is going to go and because it's a prologue that jumps from like you said scene to scene to scene to scene yeah very quickly it's it's really short and we get just a brief glimpse so we're introduced to our main character johnny he cracks his skull on a piece of ice right mm-hmm. yeah like um, he uh he's a kid and he he uh skates accidentally into like a a pickup hockey game and gets clobbered. Right. He gets clobbered and has his first, like, I mean, at this point, all we know is it was kind of a pseudo premonition, right? He, he sees, he like, don't keep saying black ice. So now, now remember, I don't know much more than that. I don't know. I don't feel as though I know what that premonition was. Um, like he was just saying about, black ice. About like, don't, don't jump it or black ice. He says black ice. And then he says, Something about jumping the vehicle because the guy oh. that helps him remember, Blacked like the guy out, that helped he him. Says. Uh, hmm. Let me find that. Johnny, watch out! No, blackout, blacked ice, blacked out. Johnny. Oh, we're here. It says, "Don't jump it no more." Johnny said, unaware of what he was saying, thinking huh. only of ice, black ice, the explosion, the acid. Oh. Uh, and then it oh, says, shit. think we ought to take him to the doctor? Chuck asked Bill Grendon. You oh. don't know what he's saying. Give him a minute, Bill advised. They gave him a minute, and Johnny's head did clear. I'm okay, he muttered. Let me up. Timmy Bendix was still smirking. Damn him. Johnny <laughs> decided he would show Timmy a thing or two. Uh, but, yeah, but it, that guy, that Bill Gendron, ends up trying to jump his Buick. And the battery explodes, and like he gets, he loses his eye and gets disfigured from oh, the battery. Yeah. Acid. Oh yeah. Like, oh, see, I that's one of those things about listening. I I had this idea that that see that's so stupid. I just missed that. I thought he was in his garage doing something in the battery, but I did double oh, check, yeah. and that's the guy that that clobbered him right on the ice. Uh, Am I wrong about that? No, no, it's one of the old. It's the old guy that rushed over to him because he's. Oh, uh, okay. We'll we'll make that connection here when okay when, uh, later yeah because I'm still trying to piece that together in the first six chapters of kind of extending that title of the dead zone to what does that mean and it could, uh, and I so. we won't I don't think we'll find that out until the second assignment okay. on what the dead zone means it doesn't help uh, if I, I get it wrong about who did what so thank you for setting me oh no 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 that. that's fine um and uh, even though he might even I don't know if he says it says the words the dead zone yet in this first assignment no he hasn't um but he will and they will and it will have a concrete definition as we get through the oh book. okay um so after after that whole segment it jumps right to the first um little bit with stilson oh yeah um the traveling salesman the traveling salesman and stilson we end up there are um we will find in this second assignment this scene as hard as it is to get through. I, I mean, and I've listened to two narrators plus I've read this scene. It is horrific. Um, it's mm-hmm. Stephen King does not pull any punches. No, I forget that sometimes he does such a great yeah. job with character and story that you forget the genre in which he writes. And so yeah. it had been a while since I listened to one of his, his stories and, um, yeah, I just forgot how <laughs> it can go from zero to remorseless. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it took like, zero to kicking a dog to death and then like, yeah, just forget. And, um, and that's, and that's what happens. And, 
Double D was reading this, uh, w- was listening to the book too. And we actually talked about this scene and he's like, you know, what a son of a bitch who he, like he eggs the dog on, you know, he, he got back to his car just fine. He could have just drove off. Mm-hmm. But then he decides that he wants to go after the dog and hit him with the flick gun and the dog just gets pissed and, oh yeah. So, um, as hard as the scene is though, it's really important. This is why it's in the preface. We need to remember this scene and we need to remember what Greg Stilson does in this scene and how he reacts in this scene. Um, we're going to spiral back, not literally, but we will spiral back to this scene. I have a feeling uh, throughout the rest of the book. Hmm. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Um, and, and we don't have to go. We don't, we really don't have to go into all the detail of what happens in this book or in this section. Cause it is, it is really hard to stomach for me. I, I don't know, uh, like how the dog like licks his boot and like <laughs> to acknowledge like his, his loss and ugh, dogs are tough. Stuff. Like you got dog people and cat people. And, uh, I am definitely a yeah. dog person and the tricky And I realized at a certain point, one part of that is dogs have kind of human eyes. Like cats yeah. have a different kind of, it's like a different thing. And, yep. uh, but dogs have those soulful, like, sad eyes in there and my dogs the dogs that i've had in my life have always been such sources of tremendous like love and joy so the yeah i mean that's that's rough like we didn't end up actually talking about john wick in the in the revenge show but like that that yeah that being the catalyst to that that thing like people make light of it but i think that's a super smart and super accurate. You killed the wrong yep. guy's dog. You done fucked up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a there's this real story about this marine in Texas who had uh, PTSD and was given a yellow lab as a therapy dog, and he caught two guys on his property just as they were shooting his dog. Oh and my god. He cha- like chased them, got in his car, got a gun, calls the sheriff as he's 90 miles an hour down the road, calls 911 and says, "You need to have a sheriff at this intersection to stop this car because they killed my dog and if I get to them first, I will kill them." Like and seriously, like the sheriff gets there and like arrest these two guys and they get sentenced with animal cruelty but he like literally it's that it's john wick happened in real life like oh, this wow. they killed the wrong guy's dog and he was going to kill them like yeah. it was mercy that he called 911 <laughs> yeah he could have just good, as easily not called 911 as a, as a know, good man like, ultimately not a sociopath because he was yeah like, <laughs> yeah um, but i think that's uh probably a very i i have to imagine that that's a very important thing for King to make it that brutal to establish that guy. You know, like you, we, we, uh, those of us who have gone through the chronology or whatever, like, and those of us anticipating the Dark Tower movie, we're familiar with your Randall Flagg, who's a kind of a charismatic, yeah, evil figure. Now, I'm certainly not as familiar with him as you are, but I don't remember 
that like there's a certain charm that they try to retain with that he's the king seems to try to retain at least in the stand with that character even though he does bad things um no it's that's clear. not the introduction to uh <laughs> to no. this to this character what was it greg no. uh greg stilson oh i made a note too that just on the flag uh front that uh i just wrote down i don't know where it is in the, the book sorry actually it's right after my note that says dog killing murder and rape <laughs> The note says simply, the snow-filled flag street. Oh. Yeah, I liked nice. that. Okay. Yeah, uh, so, there yeah. Is a, so there's there another is a, dark, dark Tower, the Dark Tower reference, actually, that this book has is in this first assignment. And yeah, it is. Is it the uh, whole Wada 19, by chance, or no? Is that another yeah. one? Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, well, yeah. Uh, it is 19 that, that that's the number that it lands on. So, yeah. And that number, I mean, that's in my tattoo. There's a 19. Oh, in there. nice. So I'm so excited um, to, you know, one of the beauties of this whole King thing is that I know so many of these books are so amazing and they're in front yeah. of me. And then yeah. to have you as that kind of shepherd through that has stuck with the same endeavor that I started independently for three years you've been on it and you got this tattoo and stuff. It's just so inspiring that to know that there's that much great stuff ahead. So that's oh, yeah. uh, so cool. Oh man. I, and I can't wait to like hear you. It's kind of like the game with Michael Douglas. Right? Oh like, yeah. <laughs> um, very early on when he first starts his game, uh, one of he, you know, he's in the country club and there's like three, there's three men sitting there talking about their games oh. and, one of them, uh, he comes over and he like kind of smugly says like, I just started my game. And one of them like leans back in like the, the, the big like wing back leather chair. And he's like, I wish I could go back and do it again for the first time. And it's like, oh. it's, it's just like this. Like, I wish I could go back and listen to the Dark Tower series again for the first time. I wish I could experience it again for the first time. Like, mm. um, yeah. That's oh, exciting. Man. Well, I so know I get to do that. I get to kind of do that uh, though yeah, through way, you, which yeah. is, which was, which is fun. So oh, good. Good. All right. Let's so, keep chugging along. We got a, all right. So we, uh, we got a we have very special chapters. guest. Yeah. So let's try to, um, let, yeah, let's, let's keep plugging away at this. So we come into chapter one and the first thing right off the bat is we, you know, Johnny's all grown up. Uh, they kind of say like his head, that incident with the ice. I love that with the prologue, it seriously is just to get us used to the way he jumps from character and location from one section to the next, from one scene to the next. That's mm-hmm. really what the prologue's for. Yeah, here's um, here's the ca- here's the main cast of people we're gonna yeah follow, and here's how how the rest of this book the structure of the this book is yeah gonna go. so get used to it chapter you know? and then kind of scenes yeah, yeah. so uh, we start chapter one and it's basically this is the leading up to it's the it's a date night between the main character Johnny and his uh, girlfriend Sarah who are they're both teachers at a local high school. Um, who King was, of course, not that far removed from being a teacher at a high school himself. Exactly. Um, and one of the things that happens very early in the scene when they first come together uh, is Johnny scares her with a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde Halloween mask because it's right around Halloween. Um, that just like the dog scene. And so like, I'm going to keep coming back to the dog scene. They don't 
King doesn't come back to the dog scene uh, in the rest of the book. I'm going to try to draw parallels between the dog scene and other scenes with Stilson. Nice. This mask, though, this one bit exchange with the mask, King comes back to constant. Like the, it yeah. is a meta. This mask is a metaphor for the relationship between Johnny and Sarah. I feel like yeah. I, I, I don't know what that metaphor is. Because it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right. And uh, that's honestly, I, I was trying to think, I was trying to tell someone last night what brought me to taking this sort of Stephen King, the Stephen King journey, as it were. And I think what it was ultimately was the Dance Macabre book, which which essentially boils horror. It's his kind of essay in 1983, I think. Not an essay. It's a, it's a full, it's a book um, about boiling horror, uh, fiction and I guess films down to a certain few ar- archetypes. And I heard it initially, our buddy Larry told me it was like them him breaking it down to everything was either Frankenstein, Dracula or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And yep. I was obsessed with those things as a kid. I made two VHS short films of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as a nine, eight, nine year old. So, I mean, like you say, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde listeners of this podcast know that I respond to that. So when right. that came up in this mask, it's like, Ooh, Nope, it got my attention. And and within like a couple, three years, like King would be writing about these archetypes because he had essentially done Dracula with right. Salem's Lot. Now he's doing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, I'm not sure how he addressed and the even, Frankenstein And thing, even but. though in his, like in on writing, he talks about how those universal monsters like had a huge influence on him when he was a kid. Yeah. Um, it, it is, this, I mean, spoilers for it. Uh, I guess I can't really plug my ears, but go ahead. <laughs> he wanted it. The whole point of it is he wanted a, a, a story that had all the monsters in it that had the oh, mummy shit. that had, Oh my that had God. Dracula really? that had the werewolf. Yeah. Like he oh, wanted that story. That. So, so like, exciting. yeah. Um, so it's so interesting which, too. Like that's what the Marvel universe is doing. Like they kind of did that back in the day with, with universal horror. Like they had their, they which, would set up the monsters and eventually they brought them together. What and a Universal's great segue because do they're now. doing it. They're doing it again. Yeah. yeah that's uh, their with world. Tom Cruise, like the, uh, the, the new mummy that's getting ready to come out with Tom Cruise yep. has Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in that movie. It, um, uh, uh Who's the gladiator? What's Russell that guy's Crow. name? Russell Crowe. Oh, that's Crow a good choice. Oh, that's very Is smart. Dr. Jekyll yeah. and Mr. Hyde. And he kind of, I just watched a segment on it on YouTube. I'll see if I can find it and I'll drop the URL in there. Yeah. Um, I'm on they, board with that. I've heard that they're going to reboot that kind of, that's their universe. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, don't fuck it up. <laughs> it's weird yeah, though. Like with the mummy and stuff, so, with the Tom Cruise action movie, like that harkens back to the Brendan Fraser, whom I know you love. Oh yeah, I do. Cute Brendan Fraser like gif. <laughs> but uh like that's not my mummy. My mummy is the Boris Karloff 32 one that is essentially a remake of Dracula after the discovery of the the Tutankhamun tomb, which is a great Fleischer Superman com um uh not comic but short film. That was around that time in the early 30s where they discovered the I think the tomb of Tutankhamun or whatever, so it was in the public consciousness. Right. Anyway, so I'm sure they're going to take it their own way, but that the idea that that's their universe to um, to delve into is definitely very exciting to me. Um, and actually, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was never a part of it. That was like MGM that owned that. In any event, 
part of the pantheon of like literary templates that Stephen King was drawing on. And he makes great and extensive use of that metaphor in this book. In fact, I, um, one of the few things that I marked, I don't have a very marked up book, but when I looked back at the chapters, the significance of that was sort of fleeting to me at the time. But when I was starting to look at the text after I'd listened to it all, the very first like two sentences in the book hit me very differently after making it through the first six chapters audibly. Okay. So chapter Let's one. Let's talk about that. Yeah, chapter one one. It says the two things Sarah Sarah remembered about that night later were his run of luck at the wheel of fortune and the mask. But as time passed, years of it, it was the mask she thought about when she could bring herself to think about that horrible night at all. I yeah. none of that registered to me when I was listening to it. I don't remember that at all. I just remembered the events of that thing where this charming thing where he scares her with the mask and then they go to the they go to the fair, which I'm picturing like the Wayne County Fair, having grown up in Ritman. That's exactly uh, like that kind of carnival, like cheap fair, is what I picture. The weird thing is, is the gambling, like that there oh, is, yeah. a, like that there is. This is something that Maine has that he has touched on. This must be a New England thing, though, because there's other books where there's gambling at these kind of carnivals or fairs that would just be totally outrageous to us. That that piece. I mean, he wins cash money. He sure you know, does. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so just to cut in real quick, uh, Double D sent a text that said, uh, your mic is a lot louder and clearer on the live stream than mine is. Oh. Um, and I think part of that is just because I have the level so low to be able to record Ash's mic later, too. Uh, do I sound Do I sound okay in your ears? Because I'm getting okay levels on the recording. I mean, it's quieter than it normally is, but I know that when it gets normalized, it'll bring everything up. So yeah, I mean, it's um, there's a little bit more s- static for me ultimately when Google filters it out. Unfortunately, I can't really balance it very well because for me to turn down on my end would turn it down for the recording, which we don't. Want. Oh yeah, and yeah, no, um, yeah, but well, I mean, my recording is quiet though. Oh, you could turn uh, your recording up and maybe do that when we bring Ash on or something so that there's an, you know, or okay. I don't know. I don't do it anytime. <laughs> Just, well, we'll, I mean, I'll we'll signal I have, it for Moto and he can, he can find a place to adjust the volume. Here, I'll turn this, I'll turn this up a little bit. Oh, that's, go. that makes a big difference. Yeah. Is that, is that good? That's, that sound? that's sexy as hell. All right. So let's hell, do dude. that. See, double D, always, always looking out for us. Yeah. Does that sound all right? So, yeah, that sounds actually qu- much better. Okay. Well, then there, we'll go with that. What will we do It'll without catch. him? <laughs> Crowding the garage by ourselves, I guess. Is that better, How double D? Is that? He just, he just screamed, ah! Oh, is that a good or bad? Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, Why? Uh, much better. Okay. <laughs> I hope, though, that that's not going to screw up the first, like, what we recorded up to that point. Like, Moto, I'm so sorry. Jesus. Uh, Here, I'll make a note. One, one, twenty two, twenty four. Yeah. The volume. Yeah, that's good. Change the volume. That's good. Thanks. Uh, okay. Um, we should. Uh, okay. So, let, yeah, let's pick this up. So, um, the, the other piece that I want to touch on. So, ultimately, what happens for those of you, I, I mean, 
if we you're probably, doing the book club right. Yeah, but we should probably just give an overview because I, I know for me, like I said, sometimes I'll just listen oh, to yeah. podcasts no, or spoil movies and that's fun in and of itself as fine. long as they yeah. tell you what you need to know. So they go on this date and they go to the carnival and everything's going great. Um, you find out that she didn't have the best luck. Johnny's only the really second serious relationship that she's ever had. Um, I really hate that his name is Johnny because it just sounds too cliched. Like, oh, Johnny. Like, I I, yeah. she says that. I think she says that multiple times. Like, oh, Johnny. Like, it's a little weird. You know, uh, it's it's a little like... It sounds like Greece or something. Right. Um, and for me, Johnny is the bad guy in Karate Kid. Like, that's yeah. all. <laughs> that's my so, Johnny. <laughs> um, you find out that she hasn't had the best luck, and her first guy wasn't, like, the greatest guy ever. And so she's with Johnny. Dan. And at this, yeah, Dan. And at the while they're at the carnival, she decides that she is going to sleep with him. And yeah, that's that she loves, yeah, because she's been she, like putting that off, like that whole thing yeah. about how she would like suppress sexual feelings and like douche and stuff. Yeah, and it was like, what the fuck? Like, what? Yeah, you know, like why is just like you know? Anyway. This is 1969, this yeah. is, or 69 or 70 when this happened. So this people started, just didn't, or 71 maybe, it's something like that. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, poor girl was uh, suffering. So. Just as so, she wants a hot dog while they're there. So she gets the hot dog. Yeah, she does. They kiss. <laughs> yeah, she wants the hot dog. She decided when she went out with him, even though he scared her with the mask and that pissed her off. She's like, "Well, yeah, I want a hot dog. I've decided. Yep. No douche." So tonight. she wants the hot dog. So they get the hot dog on their way out. He happens to get this weird premonition, um, and puts some money down on what's called the wheel of fortune. Uh, which is basically like a roulette wheel that's got really, really twisted odds. Hmm. Um, but he ends up, he ends up going on a run, basically on the Wheel of Fortune, where he wins like over five hundred bucks, which they said is like three weeks of his salary. Uh, again, nineteen seventy dollars here. So, um, while he's on the run. She gets the runs because the hot dog she ate was bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> so their plan to spend the night together gets thwarted. He wins this money on Lucky 19 um, and decides that he is going to drive her back to her apartment and then take a cab back to his apartment, in, uh, which is like one town over. And while he is taking that cab back, they get in a head-on collision with another car and he gets thrown through the windshield and goes into a coma. Right. Yeah. For four years, ultimately for four, four and a half years. Four and a half, ultimately. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, but I, I love the wheel of fortune scene of the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the first part of the book is called the wheel of fortune. Yeah. Um, that scene goes on for 22 pages. Really? 22 pages long. Um, that's how great, how much detail he puts into the, like the scene um, and how pivotal a part of the story it is. Again, for in, a, in those 22 pages, that's half of the first 44 pages of the book. Mm-hmm. 
so like the that the wheel of fortune scene ends on page 44 so up to that point half of the book was just on that one scene isn't that wow. crazy yeah because like it, you know it, i like, listen to it and i don't have page numbers or anything and it i never found myself like bored with it you know what i mean like right. i didn't realize that it had gone on that I long. just love that suspense and yeah. like there's so many characters in that scene. It's just really good. And it's you kind of know, I mean, just like from the popular c- culture, like I, my first encounter with the Dead Zone was like Christopher walking on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, like in the early right. 90s. Right. You know, he, there's a scene where he plays kind of that that same character he plays in the Cronenberg film adaptation of the book. And, you know, he touches the guy and he's like, oh, you're going to have an ice cream headache. It's going to hurt. <laughs> You bad, you know. Oh my god, I gotta work on that. But uh, so I had, I kind of knew, like, yeah, obviously he has premonitions and he's gonna be able to win this game. But still, you're kind of in suspense. His girl's sick. Um, does does the guy actually have enough money to pay out? Does Johnny even care about the money? Why are they hinting? Right. The the well, I was gonna say the omniscient narrator, but it's really Sarah, his date, who's our kind of window into that world at the time. That's where she starts to go back to this like Jekyll and Hyde thing. She, there's this like darkness that surrounds him at that time. Right. And uh, right. And so me as a newcomer to the story, I didn't necessarily know that that was the case. That that that, that, that like the premonition stuff was kind of tinged with. I hate. I don't know if evil is the right word, but I have a note here. My first note is actually about headaches. Like Johnny will touch it. He was touching his head and that yep. will of fortune scene and both him and the, the traveling salesman who kicked the dog to death. They both had this kind of headache thing. Yeah. And uh, so I was trying to make sense or just making note that that was like a thing for the two characters that we're going to follow most closely. And then, then this idea that Sarah is really kind of falling for this guy, but there's a, and he's, they, he, she also, they also paint him as this kind of, I hate saying kind of, they they he's painted as like Dan was this exciting lover, etc. Right. And right. Johnny is more I think in some ways that's why the name Johnny is for him to be this kind of like every man. Yeah. Uh, I mean I think that I think that's what he's going for. Um that's true. And I think that I, I I think I even thought of that at one point in time, but I I would agree with you that that he he is supposed to be like an arc like a an everyman archetype. Uh, yeah. And she seems drawn to bad boys. Yet when this kind of dark cloud comes over him, when this is going on, she's scared of it, and I think she kind of likes it too. Now, um, one question that I want you to think about because this this will this will also happen repeatedly throughout the rest of the book this dark cloud that you're referring to is it just is it is it because there is a genuine darkness or because like or evil or because it's just misunderstood mm. or um uh, i i like johnny kind of alludes to right before he gets in the car accident right before he leaves sarah he's like my or right as they're leaving the carnival he's like my mother says that found money yeah. brings bad luck yes yeah well, so, I have this other um, note too, where it says, I think in that time he said the the luck felt like burning rubber. Yeah, 
And that uh, too is the kind of premonition of of what's going to happen in the car accident. And one of my yeah. other like few earmarks from the from the book was in the prologue actually. So like just like I said, I missed that whole thing where they set up they set up the whole they they telegraphed the whole ominous um importance of that date and the horribleness of that night. But I didn't in the first fucking sentence of the paragraph of chapter one, but I didn't register it at all. And in yeah. the same way they talk about um um from this is the end of the uh prologue part one he talks about from time to time years afterward this talking about that uh the premonitions as a kid from time to time in the years afterward johnny had hunches he would know what the next record on the radio was going to be before the dj played it that sort of thing but he never connected these with his accident on the ice by then he'd forgotten it but the hunches were never that startling or even very frequent. It was not until the night of the county fair and the mask that everything started happening before the second accident. Later, he thought of that often. The thing with the Wheel of Fortune had happened before the second accident, like a warning from his own childhood. So it's like all of that stuff just blows by you, like or blew by me. And I didn't realize the significance of it until now really <laughs> or, or earlier today when i looked at the yeah book. no but that's but that's good and and that's the beauty of this Best of care. a book club is like where you can sit and have those premonitions and uh, and get the kind of pitchy yeah <laughs> that's good <laughs> um yeah. anyway so, it's layered right. as shit so so he gets he's in a coma the next scene that we see we get introduced to his parents herb and vera oh my god yeah uh, uh, now this is almost like it. It feels like it feels like a sitcom from the 1970s. The, this introduction scene, you know what I, I mean? Like, thought of it like that. Yeah, I see that. Now. It's it's very it's very it is very sitcommy. Um, again, it's very character driven. Herb is a very New England man's man. He's a carpenter for Christ's sake. You know, like uh, and. The, the pun intended. For Christ's sake. Pun oh, yes. Intended. Pun always intended. Well done. Uh, <laughs> and Vera is this religious zealot, right? Yeah. Is that the right word? Like in the tradition um, of like a Margaret White, like Carrie White's mom. Is it Margaret White? That is a point that I wanted to make was he, this is an archetype, even this early in King's career. This is an archetype that King has already established is this very devout in a very sick way uh Christian person. Yeah. And uh so Johnny's mom is 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 also in this archetype. There's a character in the first Dark Tower book, Sylvia Pinston Pitston, that this reminds me of. Uh there are multiple King books where there this type of character is in there. And also multiple King books where it is a woman that is this character. And The Mist has another one of these characters. Uh, a female, re- very sick, religious person. I wonder uh, where does, that... Do you know where that comes from? Because no, he always um, speaks of his own mother and very... Who's uh, not religious very uh, at yeah, all. Yeah. And very and very free, like letting him right. pretty much read whatever he wanted. And um, I think that... He, you know, he talks about having to stay with some aunts and uncles while growing up. Um, and I wonder, I think that 
one of the ants maybe might have tried to force religion on them. Mm. I that's the piece. If there's one thing of from going through the bulk of King's catalog, is you realize all of his archetypes, his his go tos, and then I find myself more times than not trying to do just that. Wonder what was this person like, or what was this person in King's life that inspired this? Mm-hmm. You know that ins- you know. Um, so his his parents were introduced, and uh, we get through this whole in this in them finding out about Johnny Zaxton. We know we get everything we need to know about Urban Vera. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting too. Like you, you come to man. like care about them. I uh, yes. I think that that's yep. that's what I mean about King. Where sometimes you forget when the brutal violence or horrific thing happens because he's so good at character and spending the time to get you to care about people. I know we're we're working our way towards a you know a Quentin Tarantino sort of double feature, um, but like the From Dust Till Dawn, that collaboration between Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Where yep. the first half, it's written by Quentin Tarantino, like prior to all his success, but the first half is directed by, uh, ooh, which is which? One half is directed by Tarantino, and the other half is directed by Robert Rodriguez, who are kind of diametrically opposed in terms of their style. Like Tarantino favors long takes and monologues, and Robert Rodriguez favors like action and quick cutting. And, I would uh, definitely say Tarantino then is the first half, and, and Rodriguez is the second half. But I think they half. might have switched it, and like, and and Robert Rodriguez is like doing his best Tarantino, something like that. I need to look into it. But I that's where I first heard this thing about Stephen King being so good about character is is in I think the commentary for that, where the whole thing about that movie is that you spend the whole first half getting you to care about the characters. So when some crazy fucked up shit happens to them, you're yep. invested. And that yep. that Robert Rodriguez said came from Stephen King, at least in his estimation, even though Tarantino wrote it. In any event, so like, yeah, you, you spent a lot of time with Herb and Vera, like caring about them, and it reminds me of like Franny's dad in The Stand. Herb does. Oh well, yeah, uh, exactly. Um, he's just very down to earth and just very proud. Uh, there, I, I mean, there, I, I, I mean, Herb gets me in the feels big, yeah. big time as, as uh. Later on in the book, well, let's just keep going because yeah. we'll get to it. So, so they find out about that. They end up meeting with Sarah at the hospital. Uh, that's when you find out the prognosis is not good. They expect Johnny to not survive. Uh, he's in a you know he's in intensive care. And it's, uh, it's I guess it's worth mentioning at least uh, quickly that. You know, Sarah was on the fence about Johnny that night, and that's kind of when she decided she wanted the hot dog, but also more. Um, and uh, like they told each other they loved each other that night, and it had transitioned from something that was kind of burgeoning to something that was very serious. And that's one of the, uh, the touching things that Herb does when they're in the hospital. Like he kind of senses that there's a closeness there, and he wants to keep Sarah yep. in, in that fold, whereas Vera yep. kind of wants her on the outside, and she's like, well, I've not heard of this lady. But but in any event, yeah, and, so they're just starting Vera, to get, get serious that night. We also get time. introduced to, I, I'm sorry, I was just flipping through the page, and I, it reminded me too, I forgot to bring up, uh, we also get introduced that almost instantly Vera says that God has a plan for Johnny. Like she, oh. 
like yeah. you know what I mean? Like they're uh I wanna I wanna come back to that if we can come back to that as we get towards the end of the book. Mm. I wanna remember this because we're I don't want to spoil anything, but it will be easy to lose in the fold. But we have to come back to this that Vera never loses sight of that through the whole thing that mm. Johnny's gonna wake up because God has a plan for him. Yeah. And when she goes off to live in the barn because they're waiting on the rapture, etc. Yeah, like gets all this crazy shit. I mean, she gets there. crazy. Yeah, yeah there, I have this note there. about October. October uh Herb talks about October being his worst month around surrounding Johnny. And uh and then also it happens so that's the month in which the uh, the accident initially happened in right. I think 1970. And then also uh it seems like in October, Vera kind of ramps up her crazy in terms of the the religious zealotry. Yep. Um, and then ultimately, <clears throat> well, actually, that's not when the accident happened. No, it is when the accident happens. Is that also when he wakes up, though? Um. Wait. When what? Johnny happened? wakes up in May of 1975. Yeah, we're not there yet because right. we're but going I, through I was a trying whole to figure mon- out the October thing. But we're just starting the montage of the time passing because we get into uh, Herb and Vera. Uh, like Herb goes to Sarah's wedding during this yeah. time. That Johnny haunts, uh, haunts. By the way, like yep. she suddenly is like besieged by thoughts of him. Right when she's doing her vows. Right. Yep. Yep. And that again, um, and it's that, like and this that kind happens of darkness, again right? too. Like yeah, because uh, when she's having her baby, like she, because she ends up getting married. Right. I don't know if I knew she had a baby. <laughs> that oh, might no, be in the that, next. Or did, no, did I that, miss that? Um, I don't think so. Uh, cause I looked that up. That's all right. Maybe I missed it. It's very possible that I missed it, but if not, I was going to find out tomorrow anyway. Oh no, because no, she, no, because it's while he's still in a coma while she's in, in, in labor. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. She's in the hospital and she thinks of him because she's in the hospital. She like yells his name That's and she right. doesn't tell her, she doesn't tell her husband that. And this is a great, this is one of those few times that you realize this book was written in a different time period because her husband was not in the delivery room with right, her. Right, right. He's out smoking um, cigarettes with Don Draper. He's out smoking cigarettes, <laughs> yeah, with Don, like with Don Draper. And she's in there screaming her, like, ex-boyfriend. Like, did, she didn't even, she kissed once. Like, one right. night she kissed him, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so this is, it is a very innocent love, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So fate plays a big role in the whole thing too. Like I, I made a note of that early on, like this idea of the tempting fate. I wrote down tempting fate that came up. There's like a fate magazine, maybe that Vera subscribes to. And this whole idea of the wheel of fortune and the predetermined yep. things. So we haven't gotten into it too much, but it definitely seems to play a big part of, of uh, and, and like uh, you and just I mentioned that, with the uh, uh, Vera and and Johnny waking up, all of that. that oh sure, to- and and well, well, and after he wakes up, there we see a couple of things happen too that will will come back to that fate conversation. So, um, so after this montage, and and we see things happening. Like uh, I love how King likes to touch on like politics that are happening. He talks about the gas prices like going crazy, yeah. like all during this time. The Kent State shootings happen. Uh, the rise and blah, fall blah, of like Nixon and Carter. <laughs> I was looking yeah, into like some all, of the dates of that today to yeah, figure out. And, he's talking about Carter as like this like farmer. Um, yep. And I guess he would have been a governor at the time. 
But Nixon was in office through this whole thing, like January 69 through um, 73, August, I think. August of 74. I just checked it 74. today because oh, I didn't okay, yeah. know. And I was like, I know this is important to this book. So what is the time? So that's one, of those, that's one of those events that mm-hmm. um, I think helped inspire this. Uh, and and we'll see that later on. But Yeah, we haven't gotten to a that, political part in the book in this first six chapters. It's that, it's that but... Um, I think that that Nixon thing, because it comes back, like when Johnny first, uh, he wants his dad to explain the Nixon thing to him. He doesn't get it. Oh, like I don't know his, if I've gotten that far yet. That doesn't uh, ring a bell anyway. Uh, <laughs> but as we're I learning, that doesn't spoiling, necessarily. Because, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's hard. At the end of chapter of six, like, he he mostly wakes. He's just woken up, I guess. Okay. Um. So, well, let's keep going. So. So we get through this passage of time, and then when we we start chapter four, and that's the this is the bandstand scene. So like, oh shit, uh, yeah. This is the killer. Uh, you find out that he has like mother of the year, uh, who caught him. You know, oh yeah, she she keeps saying like, "Do you want to be one of those dirty fuckers?" She's nasty she's fuckers. like a nasty, nasty fuckers. fuckers. Yeah, she's a Margaret White in a way of her own, like a strict authoritarian. Yeah. But around, yeah, she catches them masturbating, and she and, freaks and, out. And I don't even think it, he meant masturbate because he says oh, right. like, he, he just, just stood like, up on its own, up, like he, stick up straight. He's up just on like own. flabbergasted <laughs> that this happens. Right. It's That's like his right. first Sorry. boner. Yeah, and she catches it and. Then makes him wear a clothespin on it for two hours to feel what it's like to get an STD. Like that's, isn't that's, that great? Yeah, uh, that, like that kind that. of shit is what creates is just what creates it's sick create fuckers a strangler, like this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so he's it, be a this sick pen up, after all. <laughs> like this pen up aggression, and so he sees this girl and he ends up raping and strangling her to death. And that's and it as fast as it happens, as abruptly as it starts, it ends. It's like four yeah. pages. And boom, it's done. And he spent 22 pages on a five-minute game of Wheel of Fortune, and this murder he did in four. And that's known like, as the it, Castle Rock Strangler. Yeah, uh, which is another way that they help show the progress of time of how long Johnny was out. Right, is based on how many killings the Castle Rock Strangler has done. Yeah. Um, and, and and as a reader, I wasn't sure. Like I was just kind of associating. I didn't catch the name of of Greg Still Stilson Stilson Greg Stilson's. I'll try to get that straight. Um, I didn't. I sort of thought like that was the evil character introduced early on. This is an evil character we're hearing about now because early on with Stilson, there yeah. like he felt he was destined for something, destined for greatness. And so right. I thought, okay, we're gonna hear from this guy again. And um, I knew there'd be a political bent to it, so I figured that was forthcoming. But I guess the, the strangler is not Stilson, I'm, <laughs> or or is that? We'll find out. Okay. I guess we'll find out. It definitely seemed um, like it could be the same person, and I didn't realize initially. I think that, that might named. be what King's going for, or at least. Uh, the, but we'll see. Yeah, a, a possible purposeful misdirect. I did make a note that I I really because I was trying to decide if I liked Franco's narration. Because it's weird to like when you know somebody and they're kind of of your similar age range and they're doing this. Right. I don't know. It was uh it was an interesting it was an interesting thing to like associate like if I liked it or not. And yeah. I think overall I did. I definitely did when we got to the part where I think it was he was Stilson and the biker. Oh uh, yeah. I love that. I'm, like I'm, I'm are we, am that. I getting too far ahead? I'm sorry. Yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. We'll get there. So, um, 
so chapter five starts with a really good, it's just another good montage of the passage of time. Uh, and you're just finding out that like things aren't going too well for Herb and Vera. It's really costing them a lot, both emotionally, physically, monetarily for Johnny to still be alive. Yeah. It's getting um, to the point where Herb Vera is spiraling out of control. Yeah. Like as far as her, uh, even as early as far back as when Sarah got married and Herb was there and she was on a farm, he still couldn't bring himself to say that she was crazy or that she might right. be crazy. Yeah. Uh, I think by chapter five, he's starting to realize that she definitely is crazy um, and doesn't know what to do about it. Yeah. Uh, so. Let's see here. So then we get to, I believe. That's when we get to Sonny Elliman. And that's so right the biker after that, gang? and that's the biker. Yeah. And Greg Stilson. And this this whole exchange is so so you find out that that Bible salesman that kicked a dog now is a successful like businessman. He has an insurance and a real estate company. Um, he also keeps a cop light in his car. Now I've never heard of any insurance man oh. or or real estate salesman that keeps a, a, a bubble light in their car that he pulls Sunny Element over with. Oh, see, get, this is the kind of thing I sometimes miss. This is why I'm like, this good. is the kind of shit that like, like Greg Stilson is just like, he just does things his own way. That's just what he does. Um, so this whole meeting see, he's is the basically man that pulls a biker over like a cop, like a cop. Oh, and shit. then, and then searches. So this is all implied in their conversation, but searches his bedroll, finds a bag of weed and pills. And uh, tries to basically uses that to get Sonny Element to come back to his office. And really, all he does is says, I might need help from you somewhere down the road. And I just want you to think about working with me. And that's basically all the like uh. he did all that to get that meeting with Sonny Element to basically say, I'm. Yeah. I'm going to need some muscle at some point, Someday. and I want you to be that. And then they may never come. May yeah. For a favor. <laughs> and because he did him a favor by not turning him in for the yeah. weed and the pills, he yeah. wants him to do a favor. So that's really, but you're right. Uh, that, Franco does that read scene that is, scene. That scene is really, really well. spectacular in the audiobook. I mean, in the dialogue too, that's what blows my mind when like the Stephen King you know, the stand or whatever. Sometimes like the dialogue in his movies, Maximum Overdrive sucks, but like the dialogue in his book, books are so amazing. He's like, yeah, you better hope your kidneys are wearing combat boots. <laughs> like, I mean, okay, that yeah. sounds like you'd be a Maximum Overdrive, but, but, <laughs> but Franco delivering those lines was really stellar. I wrote down this other one. He says, whenever I get myself a piece of mama's apple pie, I make it my, my business to shit all over it. <laughs> Again, I say it out loud. I'm like, fuck, that sounds like maximum over, overdrive. But I guess that's great. But yeah, I mean, when I was trying to decide if I dug the Franco reading, I think overall, yes, I do. But particularly once it gets to this part, I, I was really yeah. in. Um, this chapter goes on. I, I know I'm rushing through this, but I'm, I know that's okay. my I wife, Actually, I my, even look at my own notes. I don't really have that many. And I'm excited to talk about Kill Bill. My wife is going to pumpkin soon. So, yeah. No, we want to catch. Uh, we, I want to I got to know, like, this whole thing with the Kill Bill and you getting her to watch it, if you if you know the uh, dynamic between the two of you, as our listeners must, it. I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, this chapter goes on. So the next part basically goes, you're, you're finding out that Vera and Herb are at their wit's end. They're, he doesn't know what else to do with her. He's thinking about every year he thinks about leaving. And it's around that time when she gets worse and needs more, him, depends on him more. And that section, it's chapter five, section six, I believe. That section ends with Herb, with the internal monologue, basically Herb wishing that Johnny would just die. Yeah. yeah. The, the father just wishes that. that the son would just die. Um, and it is, I, I'm not sure if King went through his mom being sick uh, at this point. I mm. think he did. Oh, um, yeah. but it, it is, God, is it a horrible thing to say, but damn it. If you go, if you've ever gone through somebody that with a loved one that has had a terminal thing like this and seeing the strain, it, it would take a, a, a very strong person to not for that not to even cross their mind at least once. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm unique. I don't know. No, no. I mean, I think but, that's one of those things that, uh, yeah, it's one of the great things about art is like it, it, it's able to say things, common experiences and contextualize it and help you not feel alone in those, those thoughts. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I mean, so yeah. I don't and then know. it goes right from that. Like my here was my note. I had, I had an arrow that pointed to the paragraph about uh, her wishing Johnny would die, and an arrow with that that says gut wrenching, and then right below that starts a paragraph about fucking lightning rods. Like <laughs> that's right. Oh yeah. I uh, mean fucking Stephen King. That's, that's Stilson, that's, right? Like trying to sell lightning yeah. rods. Yep. Yeah. To and, a, to a bar um, owner. And and it's just again, it's just this one little scene. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? Um, but of course, they all have something to do with something. Don't something they? to do with it, something, right? Uh, so, oh yeah, here's the scene where Sarah has her baby, and it says, "Um, the baby came on Halloween night." See, they keep coming back to October. That's another oh, yeah. thing too. I like that, you know? Sure. <laughs> uh, the baby came on Halloween night. Sarah's labor lasted nine hours. She was given mild whiffs of gas when she needed them. And at some point in her extremity, it occurred to her that she was in the same hospital as Johnny. And she called his name over and over again. Afterward, she barely remembered this and certainly never told Walt. She thought she might have dreamed it. Like that's, oh yeah. man, is that, that's so fucking yeah. hard. That's pretty cool. Um, so up to this point, we realized like, uh, we have just collected characters. Like we're just, I just love this like character driven piece. Um, that we, cause the next section deals with them finding, this is how another way we get the passage of time. They find the fourth victim of the Castle Rock Strangler. Oh, next, right, like, right. Two boys find it. Yeah. Um, well, part of the passage of time, too, it's like Sarah and Johnny's romance was just blossoming literally that night. And, right. And then it was cut right. off uh, in this. There, that's the thing with the crow, too. Uh, the, there's, a, there's a title of one of the chapters called Inertia. And it's like he talked about it as the inertia of a relationship. So you're in a relationship with someone, and suddenly one of those people like is gone or dies or is in a coma in this case. 
Right. And the other person's sort of, so inertia is like, like an object continues in the same direction unless met by an equal or opposite force. Um, and so the one person's feelings continue while the other person is not there. And, uh, and that's kind of what's happening for, for Sarah. That, and she was kind of fighting that with her experience with Dan. And now here she's doing it again under a different context with Johnny. And so she's just coming to terms with the depth of their relationship and having then to try to decide whether or not to try to hang on, <laughs> continue to like, right. you know, uh, take cold showers as it were or whatever to, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. But so terrible. Uh, yeah. I, I, obviously I can't understand, but it sounds awful. I've never heard yeah. that kind of an, a solution to that urge i've got a different one but a uh, solution that is but <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> urge, I suppose. <laughs> but uh in any event yeah so so she's trying to make i don't know like decide when to let him go like herb is or whatever so obviously it's it's this kind of painful thing but ultimately i i think that's a significant part of the passage of time at least from my perspective in only the first chapters is like yeah, this much time has passed and people's lives are moving on whether it's herb yep. or vera's or sarah's and Johnny's just been laying there. Um, and as he's been laying there, we start to finally get into, uh, it comes back to Johnny. So now, um, you know, within the first 60 pages, Johnny's put in the coma. And then we hear all the characters revolving around Johnny and the, and the secondary characters outside of that circle for right now. Um, and now we're spiraling back to Johnny. Uh, we're getting into... Uh, chapter I don't know if, we've, if we're in chapter 6 yet but basically he's starting to wake up mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and he, he starts to his point of view right a bit. his point of view uh, at one point things start to swim in and he kind of he almost comes to the surface uh, there's a I love how King passes the time by the other person that's sharing the room with him mm, so the first yeah. time you come back to his hospital room it's a man with cancer Mm-hmm. And he starts to swim up a little bit, and then he goes back, and it's just a dark hallway. That's how he describes it. Yeah. And then uh, he basically goes back into the coma for six months mm-hmm. and then comes back, and there's a different person in the room with him, like sharing yeah. the room with him. And so uh, that's when he comes up uh, from the coma. And it almost – I love the interchange between him and the nurse – when he first wakes up, how she's just doing her normal routine and uh, she places her hand on the back of his neck and he instantly knows her kids. Oh, right. He knows that one of her kids had an accident with a firework and that is expected to have a surgery. So the first words to her are, hello, Marie, your son will be fine. That's, right. I, I mean, that's essentially it, right? Yeah. That's his, his first vision. Three. Um, Son. Be fine. <clears throat> be fine. Uh, watch. Just watch. Um, granddads. You'd be damned if you let any Jap put his greasy <laughs> hands on you. <laughs> oh, that's not, um, that's not okay. Yeah. So, uh, but then it ends up, he is going through very quickly he has almost his second premonition uh when he learns from his doctor that he's been asleep basically for four and a half years right um and then uh he's taking this all in stride until 
uh, his parents show up. So we get almost, we get another, we get a bookend to the scene when they find out that he's in, a, that he was in an accident. Mm. We get a bookend to that scene where they get almost the oh, same sure, call. On the, on the call, yeah. Yeah, uh, that he's awake. And almost the same stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Like Vera finds out and instantly attributes it to God, starts praying, and he has to tell her to shut up so that he can hear what's going on on the phone. But then when that's then when the comedy bit of that is over, um, he does pull her aside and says, "If you if you talk about any of this crap to Johnny, I I will haul you out of that hospital." Yeah, in, in a second, her um, changes character right quick. <laughs> right quick, he just basically like, "You will let our son get better before you shove any of this crap down his throat." Mm -hmm. That's basically what he tells her. Yeah. Um, and she is officially at this point crazy. Like, yeah, like yeah. Herb knows she's crazy. Johnny will soon know that she's crazy. Um, man. So we get that scene. And then this brings us right up to the end um, where he's asking his dad to kind of like, he's just trying to catch up on everything. And how even even after that talk from Herb, his mom could not resist. Like she started to get into, and it was like Johnny instantly knew how to like. He's like, I'm gonna walk. It's like he knew about the agreement that already happened with Herb. Like, yeah, he was. I'm gonna he walk. was cool about it with her, and he yeah. and Herb exchanged a look. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the exchange, like you know, she leaves the room, and he asks him about Sarah, of course, mm -hmm. uh, and. It doesn't work. It's so tragic. It's just <laughs> yeah. so sad. Like, um, so uh, I wanted to touch on Double D was texting. He was watching the live feed, and I I totally missed this text that came in. Um, but it's a really it's it's actually pretty smart. He's like I he texted me. He said I thought the upset stomach was bad vibes. Uh, with the premonitions, like it oh, was almost yeah. like a a discordance. With um the thing, uh, yeah, it's and like she when, just passed it Buffy off as a bad hot dog. Yeah, so like she wasn't me, really sick; like she just passed it off. You know. Yeah, it reminds me um, uh, for anyone who's a sort of Buffy nerd, like the original Buffy movie, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where you get cramps, like menstrual cramps, when vampires were coming near her. It was like her oh, body's way yeah. warning her. Yeah, um, and that's that was easier than trying to, uh, than admitting there was something about those eyes. Um, Ooh, yeah. So, and she kept coming back to that mask as we as we yeah. learned later, and I glossed over initially. Um, and so it basically, Vera doesn't want to hear any science. He doesn't want to hear any religion, and that's where we end at the end of chapter six. Is like Johnny's awake. Everybody's kind of like trying not to upset Johnny mm -hmm. and and that's kind of where we're at. So there's, there's this one quote that I short one that I wrote down independent of the questions and stuff. It just says that he had gone into darkness with everything, but he felt like he was coming out of it with nothing at all except some secret strangeness. Yep. That really caught and, me. And uh, yeah, and that strangeness is what the rest what we're going to focus on for the rest of the book. Oh. Um and where where things start to happen uh so yeah that's the first that was the first assignment so let's dish out 
let's dish out this first assignment, the, um, the second assignment, and then yep. uh, let's get talking about Kill Bill. Yeah, how far uh, can thing. I listen? <laughs> um, so the next assignment is for next week, the next uh, part that we will talk about, is going to be chapter 7 through 14. Um, so I'm going to stop giving page numbers, but chapter seven through 14. Okay. Um, anything in particular to listen for this or the same kind of implicit? Um, so, explicit. so implicit, explicit and reactionary. So the explicit, how are the reactions of, how are the reactions to Johnny's, uh, premonitions effective and relevant compared to how they might be re how those reactions might happen today. If that were to happen today. So compare, is there a seventies vibe or is, is that how we would react even today to something like that? Um, what parallels? So the implicit, what parallels exist in all of the Stilson scenes we've had up to this point. So oh. by the time you read this section, second section, there will be the dog scene the scene with Sonny. Uh, and then there's going to be two scenes with Stilson that happen inside this section that we read. Okay. Um, so just what parallels do we see between all of these little vignettes with Stilson? Okay. Hmm. Um, and then the reaction piece. Um and this is going to tie to what I started to talk about earlier with Vera is do you feel like Vera might have had some kind of premonitional power as well, considering oh. she was the only character who never, I, she plays it off as faith. It could be a misplaced power. Mm-hmm that she knew he was going to come out of that. Um, so as you start to list through this section, um, think if maybe Johnny's powers came from his mother. Um, oh, very interesting. Yeah. I Would love you that uh, the, the, these first King books are so, there's so many psychic elements to them I, I i don't know if that was like a period thing like if the 70s there was just a ton of psychic ability talk but I, I, you know carrie has a huge telekinesis portion um the stand they all communicate the shining, like yeah. the shining the the shining literally is that psychic power right yeah. uh this the dead zone fire starter is pyrokinesis um <laughs> you know word. like there's uh there there's just like all those all of these like extrasensory abilities in humans a lot of his stories center around that um yeah early on which is funny because it, i i mean of course the shining deals with ghosts but uh these still i don't think have gotten into the quote-unquote horror yet you know what i mean mm -hmm. um so uh Maybe that's why it is considered his like most mature writing. Uh, it's where he reaches. Oh, his really? Peak. Okay. That's what uh, like critically critics all agree, like pretty much agree that it is where he peaked as far as his um, ability as a writer. Like that's it's the peak of his talent. 
Oh, outstanding. Uh, That's something to look so, forward to. Um, yeah, and uh, and definitely going through it the second or third. I can't remember if this is my second or third time. Third time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going through it again, I, I and I definitely would agree with that. It's so good. So very cool. Um, would you tweet those this, uh those specific questions out with like a hashtag for the book club? I, was I will. Start, I was starting I to write that. them down, and I was like, "Oh, this would be you know, let's use the su- supercomputer to, <laughs> to share it with anyone." Yeah, who wants I'll, to I'll probably on. have to break them into three tweets. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, but I like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You so, can even uh, maybe break it up into bo- the you know, this is the second assignment kind of thing. I, I'm yeah. sure you'll come up with something. Yeah, good. I'll figure that out. And of course, um, uh, listeners can um, can download uh, the Dead Zone for free if they go to. Uh, audibletrial.com slash LWSD and uh, you can get your your f- free download from audible.com as well as a 30-day free trial and access to o- over 180,000 titles of which many of them are Stephen King books we've spoken about on this podcast or will later. Um, so yeah, check it out. Awesome. And uh, what's our and, book, uh, book rags is the other uh, person who makes bookrags.com. Let's roll our promo for bo- our, uh, our other sponsor book rags for providing all the materials to help us guide the discussion uh, for this dead zone book club. We'll roll that promo. Hey, Palmer here. Dave and I are so excited to be doing this long walk, short drink book club reading of the dead zone by Stephen King materials for this project were provided by the site bookrags.com. With over 6,000 study guides available on their website, bookrags.com has everything you need to study and ace your lit classes. Enter the promo code PODCAST to get 15% off your subscription. Thanks so much to the great people over at bookrags.com for helping to make this book club possible. So keep listening and keep reading. Have a good one. Dave gets really upset when I don't... It's fun to do. Like I don't get yeah. upset. I just like to do it. <laughs> uh, so we're back from that promo, and uh, now that we're back, we're not alone. We are not alone. We uh, have with us my beautiful wife. Hey guys, what's up? Ash. Yeah. On her own microphone this time. On her hey. own microphone, rocking rocking a strap shirt. About to. Yeah, she got a strap shirt knowledge. on. Yeah. Um. So. Oh my! Uh, this <laughs> is the, my, whole, the whole script of Kill Bill in front of him. <laughs> this, no, so oh, these geez. are my book rag. These are my book rag notes. That's oh, what these are. Okay. <laughs> I just have this one page of Kill Bill notes. Oh, like it's, it's just, on the like back. This, okay. Yeah, this handwritten thing. Like, oh, that's funny. I thought of that earlier. I was like, I wonder if he thought this was all my Kill Bill oh, notes. For like, sure, it did. I thought you. Put Jesus, it out we'll the whole... be there till three in the morning. No way. Yeah, there's a. I mean, there's enough to talk about with this movie, but not as much as there was for that. I, I mean, out. it's a four-hour-long movie. There's a like. I was trying to go through the IMDb like trivia, and I did not disappoint. Some of it was I did not think was the most accurate, but um, you got just enough yeah. in life going on not to be the moderator of the IMDb Kill Bill page. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, I think so, the, the most interesting thing, though, and obviously this is going to be an evolution, and I've seen some progress already in the few appearances, but. On the surface, Kill Bill is not what we would deem an Oh, so let's roll in movie. the promo, the Palmer's Picks promo. Let's oh, do yeah. that. Hey guys, Palmer here. I uh, just wanted to bring you up to speed on what you're about to hear in case you missed the last time we had my beautiful wife Ash on with us. Uh, 
So the first show that Dave and I ever made was called Palmer's Picks. It was a movie review show we made way back in 1999 when he used to work at a public access station where guests would bring on their favorite films. We'd talk about them, and if I happened to like them, then I would call them a quote-unquote Palmer's Pick. We've actually posted some of the episodes of that show on YouTube. Fast forward to now, instead of Ash bringing me movies, I decided that I'm going to bring movies to her. Specifically, uh, movies that I'm pretty confident that she would like, uh, but not the fluff that she normally goes for. Uh, no, I like to get to the darker corners of Hollywood with her. Uh, the films that take her out of her comfort zone. Now you're in this sunken place. Sometimes she likes them, sometimes not. I can promise you a couple things though. This is gonna be funny, it's gonna be long, and we'll probably spoil the fuck out of whatever movie we're talking about. So you've been warned. Uh, so without further ado, Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. So, yes, to get back to you before we ran in the promo, which the promo would help explain this too, I guess. Uh, this is not the typical kind of movie that Ash would just, like, would just pick, right? Probably not. Um, <laughs> no. And actually, it <laughs> is one that I tried to get a couple times. Yes, that is to true. To get her to watch. and uh, And I was not interested. But, no, but there was no, a very, so this a couple of weeks ago, this came up right around the revenge and that's why we've fast tracked this to, right. to a new, oh, to yeah. a fresh. So, so what happened? Like something happened, so Some, something very evocative that I loved hearing uh, via text, but now I want to hear it spoken aloud, like oh, Franco, um, dead zone. <laughs> well, I was just talking about, I, I mean, if I remember it right, we were talking, I don't like how I'm showing up on there that much, um, but we were talking about revenge movies and i was getting ready to watch old boy to prepare for the revenge show and uh i don't know we were just sitting there and i was like let's watch kill bill and she went for it well i think you probably said something like would you be willing to watch kill bill or would you be interested in kill bill here's the premise and the idea of it and i think i've i've really warmed up to the idea of you picking movies that i wouldn't typically choose for myself so yeah um, I was willing to give it a shot. Is Wasn't, that what you were going for, Dave? Yeah. Like, what, well, what? I thought there was this story about she came into the room whistling the. Oh yeah, like she was whistling like the the that the song theme? that uh, I that was L whistles. Oh. At one point, and you were doing it out of the blue, and it just man did that throw me for a loop. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> what was the deal there? Because I thought that was sort of the impetus where you're like, what is that? And she's like, I want to watch Kill Bill. <laughs> But, but was that after the decision had been made? Where do you even know that whistle? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know when I was. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> that would be. I do remember that though. Context. That did happen. She mm. did whistle. She did whistle that thing. Was it after we had watched? No, no. How would I have gotten it in my head? That's I don't know. Strange. Yeah, I don't know. Were you trying to decide between what your revenge film would be? Is that how Kill Bill came up? Like how? How did that, you know, like a movie oh, that would no. be so I, outside I mean, of the comfort I, zone? I knew Old Boy was going to be my revenge flick from the beginning. Nice. When we first talked about the revenge movie. Okay. I remember on the Shamrock episode, I was like, I know what one I'm bringing. Oh. I think I even said Old Boy at one point. We'll have to yeah. confirm with Double D and see if he, uh, <laughs> yeah. if like if that. he has Old Boy on the Shamrock episode as one of the movies we talked about. Um, but she was whistling that I do remember her whistling that. And I do remember saying, Oh my God, that's from kill bill. That's this great scene. And I described the scene 
And one thing I've learned that if I'm going to get Ash to come over to the dark side. Oh, let us see that shirt a little bit better when you say that. Yeah. Because you're in the corner there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When she's going to come over to the dark side. uh, (laughs) I I realize I have to spoil the fuck out of a movie and just like, here's everything that happens so that there's no surprise. Like, and you don't reveal the ending. Like you don't give the whole movie away. I don't reveal that, but I do like, um, I mean, I will. You really like, have to set it up for me. If it's a I movie, to, I'm like, reluctant about. I had to basically explain like how the bride got into that hospital and why why she was whistling that and why kind she of was coming. Me a little yeah, bit. and yeah. Uh, and I was like, I'd really love. You know, we're talking about revenge flicks. This is a great revenge flick. It's a great Quentin Tarantino movie, and it's a great revenge movie. I think we should watch it. And so we did. Well, what's and a, then, God forbid, you know, someone doesn't know the plot of this movie, which is not very convoluted. Um, we should reveal that, though. I'm sorry. Were you about to, you were about to follow up on something? Uh, no, we just watched it. And, uh, and then, well, when I told you that story, because I do remember texting you that story now. Oh, yeah. That blew uh, my mind. That, I was like, what yeah. now? <laughs> yeah. Then you were you were because you. I mean, it was already astounding that she was whistling Elle's song, but yeah. then that, uh, that. Well, she's like, she let's was, watch she Kill was Bill. willing to that watch just, Kill Bill. That, the, yeah, that, that was the other piece because it's not an yeah. Ash movie. It's not no. an Ash movie at all. And you'll find out a little bit later, I like I am squeamish about Kill Bill. Yeah. Like okay. I was right into the mic in that Right into the end of it. See where I am? Yeah. Gotta be right up in there. Yes. I, see. Hot I see it. Do you see how you're... How you're <laughs> a hot dog. Yes, I see it. How yep. that changes when you're talking right into it I like do. that? I do. Yep. Okay, so that's how you gotta talk into okay. it. Okay. This is the moment where Ad, where, Ad, where Ash became a pot, a broadcaster. This, now yeah. she's, <laughs> where I can learned. you say good morning Vietnam? <laughs> because that's good morning mind. Vietnam! <laughs> it's just happened. That's That's, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so that's, it's a rough movie to take on. I, I, as scared as I am of Old Boy, I am honestly still a little scared of Kill Bill at times. The bride, my oh, really? my bride, from whom the bride takes her her uh, pseudonym for the show, yes. loves those movies. And sometimes she'll suggest them. Earlier, I was talking about how she'll suggest a Marvel movie, and I'm like, ah, I don't really want to watch it, but okay. And then I'm watching it, and I'm like, ooh, I'm so glad we're watching this. But Kill Bill is it's so fun but it it is also it's a little gruesome yeah and i will always say like quentin tarantino has always caught a a lot of shit for the violence in his movies and going back to reservoir dogs with the cutting off of the ear that you don't even see like there i think he, he part of the reason that is is that he treats it sometimes the kill bill is a sort of an exception, but there are a lot of times in which he does treat it seriously. And, and because of that, and because you feel the emotional implications of said violence, it can be really disturbing. Uh, Absolutely. And sometimes really funny. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so that's why for, for me particularly, I was, when, when I found out that this was going to be a movie that you guys were going to watch together, I was floored. Um, and, yeah, we were so, it was so, I, I had the same reaction when she was just like, yeah, we can watch that. That's fine. I was just like, I, I didn't have to work for it. So when she says like, she's 
she is getting to the point where she just is going to trust my recommendations. She totally exhibited that in this instance because I have recommended Kill Bill in the past and did about the same sell to it. And she was having nothing about it. And so give a brief synopsis of the story, Dave. So that way, oh. I mean, because yeah. this is a hard movie to sell to somebody. Yeah, that's a good, um, sorry. I wasn't quite prepared for that, but I, I sorry, you know I didn't mean to love, put you on the spot. No, no, I can I do have it if my, you want. I have my, uh, I bought, I was fortunate enough in 2000, whatever, four to get this lovely. So I bought volume one at Best Buy with, uh, nice. With uh, this kind of carrying case that left a space for volume two when it came out. So these are DVDs, but. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, I'll just read the short paragraph that they give. Uh, it says the acclaimed fourth film from groundbreaking writer director Quentin Tarantino, Kill Bill Volume One, stars Uma Thurman, Lucy Liu, and Vivica A. Fox in an astonishing action packed thriller about brutal betrayal and epic, and an, an, an epic vendetta. Four years after taking a bullet in the head, ooh, not for nothing, but Johnny Smith, was it, in uh, Dead Zone? Was out for four years. Yeah. Four and a half years. Four years after taking a bullet in the head at her own wedding, the bride emerges from a coma. Motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) And decides it's time for payback with a vengeance. Having been gunned down by her former boss, David Carradine, and his deadly squad of international assassins, it's kill or be killed and a fight that she didn't start but is determined to finish. Loaded with explosive action and outrageous humor, it's a must-see motion picture event that has critics everywhere raving. Two thumbs up, Ebert and Roper. That's just for uh, Volume 1, which came out in 2003. Three. Three. And then Volume... At the end of, in November of 2003, and then April of 2004 was when Volume 2 came out. Yeah. I actually have a very vivid... Uh, I. I I actually, I'm very much looking forward to hearing the two of you discuss it, but one of my few visceral, vivid Kill Bill memories was of the opening moments of that movie in a movie theater. I feel like I was by myself, and there she is, the bride, black and white, yep. battered, bleeding on the floor, terrified. That like and, high contrast black and white, yeah. too. It's not... And like it's her not teeth the, are busted, and yeah. she's like... it's. I was just like, whoa, shit. I, I was instantly on edge. And we talked about last yep. episode, like, I retold a, a story of vengeance as brutal and bloody as any, as a fucking teenager uh, on uh, in a movie. And so I thought I was desensitized to certain things like this. And then, but seeing the, the look of terror in her face and the way that she looked after she was, at this point, inexplicably battered and beaten and bloodied. And then she's like, Bill, it's your baby. And then she gets her... F- she gets shot in the head and cut to fucking credits. I yep. literally thought yep. in 2003 in November, I would have been 24. I'm like, I don't think I can handle this. Like, I think I've outgrown this. That's too yeah. much for me. It's like yeah. 30 seconds yeah. into the movie. So with that as the jumping off point, for instance, how did that grab you, miss, ma'am? Yeah. What do you think, Ash? It definitely grabbed me. Definitely got my attention. <laughs> Um, I knew going into it that it was going to be um, on the more violent side. I think I was a little bit more prepared for it, just going into it, knowing the story. And I mean, you saying it was a revenge flick makes 
is is accurate. So I was I was framing my expectations kind of around that idea. So what happened wasn't as shocking as maybe it would have been had I not been given that sort of introduction to it. Yeah. Um man, that first scene is just so and it's not just cuts to any credits. It cuts to Quentin Tarantino's 20 minute long credits. Opening <laughs> credits. Yeah, you know what it, I mean? Does it do like, like the band apart? Like the kind of pulp fiction where like, oh, we're in good hands here, kind of. Yeah, uh, it does. It does. Um, man, I, I it, it is one of those, it, you know, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie right from the beginning. It's just style. I, I I came to this uh, conclusion. I I'm sure this isn't new. Um. I I and I'm not saying that Stephen that that oh, Stephen Cheese that Quentin Tarantino is not a good director, but I think he is a much better. He has a much better eye for awesome, because <laughs> he he really just cherry picks the best pieces of things that he likes and then puts them together. Yeah. It's that, that adage about, you know, great artists steal and he does liberally. Yeah. But to great, and it's effect. like, so he just like takes mm. the best scenes and the best ideas and the best actors and the best concepts and mashes them all together. And that's what kill bill to me. That's what kill bill is like. I didn't grow up like you and Moto watching these old awesome movies, right? These old awesome kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. I think the closest would have been um, the Last Dragon. I remember <gasps> oh, that. Oh shit! I I saw that when I was a kid. That is fucking great. <laughs> that um, is that's close enough, my friend. <laughs> I'm so glad that you brought that movie up. There's a for people who have listened to the Revenge show prior. There's a there's a Last Dragon uh, needle drop that uh, I added after the conversation because I am also a big fan of that movie. Joe Gunn, right? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. That, yeah. Ooh. Um. Thank you, <laughs> Tamiak. Yeah. So <laughs> I I remember that when I was a kid. I saw I watched that one a lot, and then there was one. This was like a, it was almost like a, I don't know the name of it. I don't know the actor, but it was almost like a Bruce Lee spoof. Mm-hmm. Like the guy thought he was Bruce Lee, but wasn't yeah. Bruce Lee. And there were uh, a lot of those like Bruce, they were like Bruce Lie. There were all these sort of imitators and people trying yeah. to cash in on the. Uh, but the this was almost like a comedy almost, like comedy acting. Huh. But, I, but anyways, I didn't watch all those, but watching Kill Bill, I feel like I saw a decade's worth. You know what yeah. I mean? There's like, a ton of, as Moto told us in the last episode, and, and uh, the the Fist of Fury, there's a lot between the nunchuck scene and the, the end of Kill Bill Volume 1. There's there's a lot of just that movie in particular uh, there. But one of the beautiful things about Kill Bill is that it feels of that time. Uh, like to the point where when the movie starts, it's like this 70s reel feature presentation comes across as though you're in a movie theater in the 1970s, but you're watching a, you know, Blu-ray. Right. Excuse me, 2017. Um, yeah. So I just, I'd love to experience it um, through the new eyes. So, um, so, so Ash, you were not as I was as a 24 year old, you were not like, Oh, fuck. 
I'm out when she gets her head blown off in the in the opening credits. Like how how no. did you yeah, just talk me through the the experience and and how you guys watched it together and what your takeaways or I hate that takeaways. Like I don't know what grabbed you. Like what'd you <laughs> My like? My initial you reactions. Like? Yeah, yeah, I was um well so yeah, like we already said I was kind of expecting going into it expecting that it was going to be um on the extreme side of some of the some of the a- aspects of movies that I'm less thrilled about usually. Um, but I mean, I, I thought it was a good storyline and um, felt very compelled and, and attached to, um, to the bride and to her, like kind of watching her story unfold. And I said to him multiple times, like it was really hard to re- recall where the first movie ended and the second movie began because there was such a fluidity between the two. And then he told me that initially they were all one big movie when it was initially. When um, he showed it at con, it was one. It was really, I didn't know that was, it was one cut of the film. It was over four hours long. (laughs) Uh, So, but that's how it premiered at con. And then when it got ready for distribution, that's when Miramax, is it Miramax that distributed this? I or, don't know. Uh, uh, I think so. Yeah, I think it is. Was it still Miramax days or would it would have gone to the Weinstein, the Weinstein company? Co- if it was, it was definitely that Miramax camp. Uh, what does that say? Yeah. I'm curious now. Yeah, it was like at the time they were doing Kill Bill and Clerks 2. Like, that's what they were hanging on to. Oh, <laughs> I was like, man. That's awesome. So, uh, but anyways, they decided that they were going to split it into two films which they that paid off for them in the end yeah it was um, Miramax still at least the first part okay cool i was just checking that so um and actually when he so he teased that there was that he was going to release it uh the Revenge Show was tentatively titled The Whole Bloody Show. Yeah. Uh, and that was an homage to Dave's cut butt. <laughs> and uh, that was my high a school side band homage. Name. Yeah. Uh, that's a great one. My high school band name. <laughs> uh, and then also an homage to the, the uh, revenge film Kill Bill that we didn't talk about on the revenge show. Yeah. Uh, who Quentin Tarantino called it the, he, when he did release this, it was called the whole bloody affair. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you introduced has, me to that. I had never heard that. And that's 2011 I'm seeing. Yeah. And, uh, it had an extended, um, anime scene about with Oren Ishii and Sophie loses more limbs. <laughs> that was like one of the lines that it said, like that was one of the differences. Uh, uh, the Klingon, Klingon. Um, quote at the beginning is not there. Oh, like the, the revenge is a dish best served cold. Yeah, that's not there. Hmm. Um, so he, but here's the thing with Quentin Tarantino. So he promises this is going to get released. Right. And then it gets, they drag their feet years go by. He finally releases it. And what does he release? All he does is re-release the print from Khan. It still had the French subtitles, which is a requirement to show a movie at con. Really? So he didn't do anything. He didn't actually do the whole bloody affair for the theater release. He just reshowed his con print. And but am I pronouncing that right? Con? Yeah, con I think so. Festival? I've heard Can Con. Can. Yeah. It's like Van Damme. Uh, so, yeah, I've heard Van Damme. both. 
When yeah. I was growing up, I said Van Damme, and then eventually I was like, "Well, you just say Van Damme." Van you're Damme. Yeah. <laughs> so might as well. Um, what do you mean? But he did release that in Japan on a DVD as one whole, like the actual thing that has the extended cut and everything. And I cannot find that anywhere. So if there's a listener that has access to a copy of the whole bloody affair, I would, I would be eternally grateful to get my hands on that, to see it. Um, oh yeah. I would love, I would love to see that. That's great. I me- I remember in 1994 or five getting my hands on a Japanese dub of a laser disc of Pulp Fiction. Oh, you know, wow. there was a time, you know, and this is part of it. Uh, this is like the tail end of it. Maybe where like Tarantino was religion for like film geeks. Um, right. And uh, yeah. So I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. Cause I was just about to call you, but I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this and particularly with the fresh eyes of Ash here. So, um, I just can't, I can't, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around the fact that you watched this in the last few days <laughs> and our kid, oh, like, did you like it? Like, how did it grab you? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a good story. It was enough. Uh, yeah. I, I liked it. In I do all like fairness, it. we did watch it over the course of about three or four days. We watched both of them. That seems okay. I mean, it's four in like hours short of, little, you know, we would watch them chapters. until we fell asleep on them. Chances are, and we then we would come back into them and start the, like we'd start back a few scenes earlier than we you know we'd find the last scene we could remember and go a couple before that just to refresh our memory. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there was so let's I so can I say some in some observations though on is your you're watching adult? them is yeah. it is that so okay absolutely so like, you can do absolutely the fuck you want <laughs> yeah. so um i know uh the my name's buck i came to fuck Oof. that whole part that yeah. was i that's mean that's tough for anybody yeah right? that was ooh. um i i actually think i was passed out though like there's that even right before that is when like the customer is there. Uh, that whole scene is just so fucking gross. And she like bites his lip off and yeah. Yeah. Oh, and she like slams awful. Buck's head in the door and like, Oh yeah. But then the there juxtap- are some really gruesome parts that I'll be honest. I think I, yeah. I, I blocked them. Out well, the juxtaposition bit. to that though is when she's in the truck and she's like, She's trying to get her toe to wiggle mm-hmm. and she goes through what's the flashback that she has in between she starts to she's like wiggle your big toe and then she goes to a flashback. What's the flashback? Oh, that's where the uh, two movies blend together for me. Like I'm trying to think what that would oh, be. Oh, okay. And I'm flashing um, forward to the the Pyme stuff and the the burial. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I don't want to gloss over to uh, one of my favorite moments in the in the and, and that's what I'm saying. Like what there's cartoonish violence in the movie, literally yeah. sometimes anime. Yes. Yes. But when she wakes <laughs> up and she realizes that she lost the baby and kind of puts together what happened and just oh, yeah, that's sobs, go- oh, that's that is as yeah, as as gut wrenching and dramatic as any fucking Meryl Streep like quote unquote yep. serious performance yes. you'll ever see, and that's yes. why these movies are so can be so special. Like because, yeah, Quentin Tarantino sort of, he specializes in genre cinema, but he infuses it with such passion, yeah, and 
the, well, the, the video mean, elevates this, it, obviously. The, the bride literally is Uma Thurman. She created this character yeah, with Quentin right. Tarantino. Like, so that's how she's able to get that passion and intensity that she has because she literally, it, that character is her. That's the only, that's yeah. the only thing I can Created by of, Q you know? and U, as yeah, I say that in makes the credits, sense. right? Q and U, you got it. And so. It's based like uh, on something called Lady Snowblood a little bit, like a Japanese uh, thing. I yeah, think. I think so. But, you know probably loosely and in the same way as you know they kind of take liberally from all kinds of uh stuff that from- scene is is and there's a lot of those little quick things that happen that just that is gut-wrenching but i feel like i think it's interesting ash how you talk about that you the and dave now you've mentioned it too that they kind of just blend together i think Volume one and volume two are drastically different styles from each other. Yes. It's like from Dust Till Dawn, we talked about earlier, the first yeah. half, but it's in a little bit in reverse. Like the first half of From Dust Till Dawn treats it like a Stephen King novel where, where you learn a lot about the characters and you care about the characters. And then suddenly in the second half of the movie, those characters are confronted. She gets crazy. Yeah, are confronted with some crazy supernatural shit and there's vampires. But you're in because you care about the characters and the situation. You're yep. you're on board. Whereas with Kill Bill, right. I don't I don't feel like you're not on board. But like you get hit with a lot of that action up front, and then in the second half, shit really slows down. There's a lot of scenes of people talking. Well, I mean, I I I so I don't know samurai movies a lot, but I know westerns kind of, mm-hmm. at, at least enough that I can make this analogy. And westerns are like the western version of samurai movies, right? Absolutely. So yeah, you got so, the Seven Samurai uh, for Kurosawa, and you got uh, what's the, the Magnificent, Seven. Magnificent Seven in America? Yeah. yeah. So, so there are two veins of the of westerns. One is one vein is the like really cartoony, over the top. Let's have fountains with spray blood in them, right? Uh, I mean, not in Westerns. I guess that would be in Samurai movies. But, like, there's, like, the over-the-top cartoony ones. Yeah. That just, like, that just really, they're, like, Western, a Western's Western, you know? Like, this is a Samurai movie Samurai movie. And it, it just embraces what it is. And that second one is just this beautiful character piece like it's just the first one's all plot driven and the second one is all character driven i feel like Mm. yeah that's Um, what you said yesterday i think yeah it it just i mean the second one with bud like they he does all that exposition with bud in the second one we don't need to know that he works at a at a strip club (laughs) right and that his boss treats him like shit yeah, and the strippers intentionally clog the toilets just to make them plunge them. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like yeah. we don't need to know any of that for Bud. We don't. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And and it's just so it's all just about this character and just like, uh, Michael Madsen. Is that who that is? Yeah, that's Michael Madsen. Who uh, you know I can picture as clearly dancing around, as stuck in the middle with you as I can, pointing a flashlight at the bride and saying like. But if you're going to act like a horse's ass, yeah, <laughs> and I'm not going to give you the flashlight and you're going to be buried alive in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, 
So now to come back to Ash's reaction in my observations. And I'm going to say for me too. So we, we watched that scene, the, the buried alive scene in oh my bed God. in in the dark in bed. So nope. now, then like that scene is oppressive. And I, I, I was uncomfortable. I mean, we both ended up saying, okay, we need to turn this off. Really? Yeah, it wasn't it, it wasn't one or the other one that was uncomfortable. We both were like, okay, that's that's it. We need a when need they're a break. nailing the coffin and the slit oh, yeah. just keeps it, it like it like <laughs> yeah. chases around the rim of the coffin mm-hmm. to where it's just like that one little wedge that's left and the last three hammer blows, it just disappears and all the there's it's just her breathing and it's like dark and the when the dirt gets thrown on and it's like really loud and amplified and it like clips, it's so loud, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so, that scene is just so fucking intense. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I have man. a unique perspective on that in particular, again, relating to the, to the crow, I guess. Um, my first, some of my first ex, ex uh, exposure to to that movie were when Brandon Lee passed away and then the articles about that. But like one of them talked about how if the movie was unchanged, this person who died during the, who was killed accidentally during the film of this movie, his, the first scenes that you would see him in are clawing out of his own grave um, from his own perspective. And I was like, Oh fuck. And of course at that time I, as a teenager was endeavoring to remake that movie based on the comic book. And so and because we would like do things poorly, I was buried alive twice. <laughs> now oh, I was not nailed in. <laughs> I was not nailed in like uh, right. like the bride was, and uh, of course she wasn't really either. But but I always was fascinated by this idea that you would be with that character of, of Eric in the coffin and like him clawing himself out. And so I, whenever I see a character claw themselves out of the grave which is not a lot <laughs> this is one of the other few times i equate it with that but it's, uh, yeah so it's i have a little bit of an actual visceral sort of physical memory of that kind of thing but oh my god and then of course that that actually parallels to this big toe scene that we're trying to remember <laughs> you know how she got to wheel your big toe it's interesting the way that it all moves around. It's like we were talking about with, with books earlier. It all blends together and the time is so fluid, but the story is linear, but it's not presented as such. Like the first thing you experience, right, right is the bride going to Vivica Fox's, one of the other um, right. assassins with whom she was aligned that had killed her. Yep. And you see, like, you see the pussy wagon That's before right. you even know, before like, you even how know she got it. Buck's pussy it, wagon, like, yeah. Yeah. And she shows so. up there, and she, like, they initially, they start to get into a fight, but then, um, what's Vivica Fox's character's name? Uh, Vernita Green. Yeah. Oh, good call, babe. Very yeah. good call. And then her daughter comes home, and there's this beautiful look between them, Nikki. like, let's not involve Nikki. Yeah. And, uh. And then, then, then they fight, and then they kind of talk a little bit. And at I, that point, you don't know quite what's going on. One of my favorite yeah. lines in any movie ever is when Vivica A. Fox's character is like, because she talks about the they all have code names, and the bride's code name was Black Mamba. And Vivica yeah. A. Fox is like, I should have been motherfucking Black Mamba. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like, <laughs> and then, of course, there's that bit where, like, ultimately they fight, and the bride kills. Uh, that character, Vivica Fox, and Nikki. And there's that beautiful overhead there. shot, like 
Yeah. I love that set with that overhead shot that cranes over top, like when they, oh, love it. And then then she says to Nikki, she's like, you know, I know what just happened. I killed your mom. And if someday you still feel raw about it, you know, you find me. And of course, that's the like the kind of seed for some sort of sequel, which God willing, we'll experience in our lifetime. But. Uh, I hope. I mean, yes. he, he flip-flops every few years on whether or not he's going to do it. So, what's the Have story? the actors you, said that they were interested in doing uh, it or that they would want to do it? I would think so, right? I don't know. I um. Well, it would be new actors, really, in some ways. Like, Uma Thurman would probably be Uma Thurman, kind of like Bill was Bill. So, like, uh, so Bill was Uma Thurman's Tutor. Say hi to Twinkie. Hey, Twinkie. Oh, hey, Twinkie. Hey, oh my gosh. Hi, Twinkie. Hi. Uh, so, you know, ultimately, Bill was um, was was the bride's lover and mentor and teacher. Um, who ultimately boss wasn't he? I guess boss. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who ultimately she seeks vengeance upon as an older man, and so in this instance. Uh, Nikki would be seeking vengeance on what would be when she's grown up an older bride. Yes. Uh, which so Uma Thurman would probably be the only like a central returning cast member, but oh, that'd be great. Uh, I mm. I had heard that the rumors were, uh, that Sophie was gonna have was gonna inherit Bill's empire. Ooh. And then she was going to take and bankroll Nikki's training, who L would train her as a blind sensei, having lost both her eyes. God. And I might be making this up, but I think she I think she was gonna use Bud's. But sword. sword. Uh, she didn't die after that. I know, like she didn't both die eyes. We didn't that? see her die, I guess, right? You didn't, see, we didn't her die. see her die, but you saw her suffer in pain and yeah. agony. Yeah. I just uh, assumed... another interesting factoid about Shit. that uh that scene was they had shot that like three or four different versions of that scene, and uh she knew she was gonna have to shoot one more. So she decided to just like totally overact. Just like oh, really? just go like just hog fucking wild, I guess. <laughs> like to the point that they couldn't use the same shot, like, you know, because they shot Uma Thurma's reaction every time. Yeah. They couldn't use the reaction that matched that take because she broke down laughing at how ridiculous that she was <laughs> acting. Yeah. But that's the one that Quentin Tarantino used in the final oh. cut of the film. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Great. That's so cool. So, um, I think if I can just say one, I think aspect of this that I brought in a different perspective was the only other Tarantino movie I've seen is Pulp Fiction, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's been a while since we've watched Pulp Fiction. So like you guys talk about this, like knowing it was a Tarantino movie and being able to like tell that from early, like there are so many aspects of the movie that are clear telltale signs that it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I didn't get any of those. So I feel like my perspective is a little bit, so like you that. weren't watching this like oh this is totally a quentin tarantino movie right? no not at all yeah i i mean and i'm sure some of that comes even in hindsight like my my 
repeated view of it now, even this last time, I was like, oh my gosh, and there's another Quentin Tarantino thing. And there's just a lot that, like, but there's a lot of juxtapositions of like conf- stuff you just wouldn't imagine fitting together. I really, one of my favorite scenes and one of my like most awkward scenes, because I think it's just like a little overacted, but that's what it's supposed to be is the Lucy Lou scene when she takes over the empire of mm. the like J- Japan underworld. Mm-hmm. And she's talking to all the other bosses, like her lieutenants essentially. Yeah. And, uh, the one like slips and like insults her Chinese American heritage. Mm-hmm. And she goes over and cuts his, and cuts, fucking cuts, head, his head, off. Off. cuts yeah. his fucking head off. Like <laughs> that. Um, but I honor, I love that fucking of- scene. Is just got so anything good. else to oh. say? Now the fucking time. It's interesting too that like her, her, the crazy eighty eights. They essentially yeah. are dressed like Cato from the Green Hornet. Like, right. It's interesting. Mm. I've never really heard Quentin Tarantino talk about Bruce Lee, and I know he ta- he likes a lot of other seventies cinema. But man, dude, from the fucking track suit from Game of Death that the bride wears yep. to the Fists of Fury nunchuck scene that 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 Crazy Eighty Eight uh, scene sort of steals from to the to the backyard Japanese garden thing from Fist of Fury, like there's yep. so much to the Kato of those, like so you don't get you don't get to this without that guy with and 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 our listeners don't get here without episode 22 so if you haven't heard that one go back (laughs) so but here's what's really awesome uh and this this is a nice segue to one of the little things that i found that i really liked he wanted to represent japan china america by the actors. So David Carradine represented America and Sony Chiba represented oh, Japan. Yes. Oh, and then I the forgot. guy uh mm. the guy that who plays who plays Pai um Pai Mei and sure. and the the guy that he he also plays the same the same guy plays the character who's the general of the Crazy 88s like the second oh, in really? command to Lucy Liu. Yeah. Wasn't Quentin Tarantino uh, himself going to play Pai Mei at one time, and then he ultimately decided against uh, it? I don't know. That's that's interesting to hear that. I, I, I might be making that up, but I thought but I heard that somewhere. Anyways, he went, he but he did want. So he had these three men that represented like these three countries that all made these like films in the seventies that he grew up on. Yeah. But he he said as he broke that all down, he's like, "But I'm just telling you right now that if Bruce Lee would have been alive." He would have been in the in this movie too because oh, he would have represented all three of them. Dude, and so, and you might know part of this, but what's interesting is, uh, yeah, fuck. I mean, we wouldn't have much of this crossover between Eastern and Western culture if it weren't Bruce Lee. Like he got in so much trouble for trying to teach uh, martial arts two westerners like literally he got challenged <laughs> like like a kung fu movie like got challenged that if you win this fight then you can go on teaching white people and if you don't wow then you can't <laughs> and uh and so one of the things too about, about that that's interesting too is at that time like he was trying to bruce lee was trying to teach that was his goal initially he wanted to kind of like mcdonald's spread across america teaching and sharing chinese culture and he grew up as a child actor, and at a certain point, he realized 
from being kind of discovered by Hollywood that he could reach a broader audience this way through through acting and, and, and kind of communicating his philosophies and Chinese culture through cinema wow. and TV. And initially that was the Green Hornet and moved on into other things. But one of the things he was he developed this television series that was gonna be called The Warrior that ultimately wouldn't be bankrolled because they couldn't base an American television series around an Asian leading man. So they did go forward with the series, but they wouldn't cast him as the lead. And, and the whole idea was like, let's set it in the old West where there would be no guns so that there could be this hand-to-hand -hand combat. And of course that series turned out to be Kung Fu starring David Carradine. Oh wow. shit! Yeah, no <laughs> and Bruce Lee was never bitter, really, about those kinds of things. Right. And interestingly enough, when Brandon, one of Brandon Lee's first acting jobs was in a kind of reboot of Kung Fu with David Carradine, but awesome. uh, Bruce Lee understood like the kind of economics of it all, and he was he he found his own path to to to, to making a his way in films and, and and culture. But but yeah, so that David Carradine thing is interesting, and of course for me. The reason I know Sonny Chiba is because of another Quentin Tarantino penned movie directed by, shout out to Shamrock, Tony fucking Scott, True Romance. Oh, shit. At the beginning of True Romance. True Romance, the, yeah. The, the two lovers meet at a Street Fighter double, triple feature, triple feature, fuck. And, uh, and you see Sonny Chiba as the Street Fighter. So it's, it's, it's a very rewarding as a Quentin Tarantino fan for Sonny and Chiba to so be that character. Now that we're talking mm -hmm. about Sonny Chiba, dude has been in over 125 movies. Really? Isn't that Whoa. fucking outrageous? Like, wow. So he's been in over 125 movies, but he also, one of his best known characters is Hattori Hanzo. Oh, and for so, good reason. Yeah. You must yeah, have a big yeah. Rat. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yes. so. No, but he played that character in a series of films what? from Japan in the 70s. So wow. Quentin, where he always, he played Hattori Hanzo. It, so he would play a samurai from different time periods in Japan. But the character was always named Hattori Hanzo. <gasps> That's so and fucking great. <laughs> And so then when Quentin Tarantino approached Sonny Chiba about playing this character in this movie, Sonny Chiba was like, of course I'll play this character. Like, what's the, like, what, what, like, what's the character's name? And like Quentin Tarantino looked at him. He's like, Tori Hanzo, of course. <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to put you in a movie call without, I, mean, uh, I got no Quentin yeah. Tarantino. And you know, actually it's a real missed opportunity, but Shamrock's got a, Killer Tarantino impression. Oh, really? Yeah, that oh. was we fucked up without not bringing that yeah. up. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Sonny Chiva, man, like that that guy is, he, I that that whole scene. And while we're on that scene, so you know how they he throw he's like you like a samurai swords and I like a baseball <laughs> and he like throws the baseball uh, at, at her and she slices it in half with the sword mm -hmm. and it and the two halves land on the floor right yeah. that was not done with digital effects that was done legit <gasps> wow Whoa. and now listen to this it wasn't Uma Thurman who did it it was Zoe fucking Bell do you oh, know who Zoe Bell God is I do. She was in uh, oh. Quentin Tarantino's Half a Grindhouse yeah, with Kurt so, Russell. 
Oh yeah. shit! And she like she has a documentary about her. This woman is an Australian stunt woman. Okay. Who is a fucking badass? All I right. mean, like, like in so in Grindhouse in like Quentin Tarantino's half a Grindhouse, her character rides like tied to the roof of a car for real. Like wow. they do it for fun, and then ends up getting in an accident. And gets thrown into these bushes, and they're like, "Oh my god, she's dead! We killed her!" And then all of a sudden, like you just see her pop up. She's like, "Hey guys, like she's totally." <laughs> and that's exactly how, like, that's how she is in real life. Wow. She has a documentary about her. I need to watch it. It's been recommended to me multiple times. I don't know the name of it, but uh, yeah, Zoe Bell. Fuck she yeah. did that for real. She <laughs> sliced incredible. the baseball in half, like with the samurai sword. Wow. I I mean, that's how badass this girl is. That is badass. Like, I, that's definitely badass. Um, yeah. So Oops. I have some stats <sighs> here. You want to hear some stats? I want to hear yes. some stats. I need to hear more too from Ash. Like I, I just need to hear this movie for her, from her perspective. Like, I know I'm talking a lot. No, no. I, I want to hear these. Actually, these are all interesting things I haven't heard, but I'm just no, definitely. so fascinated by by you taking this on taking this in and 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 too like you know it's a it's a female fronted film like the the protagonist is yeah is what a, do you think yes, about that like the female empowering like uh you know the bride is um yeah the bride is empowered to go out and get the revenge that she seeks yeah. and and at the time thinks that that revenge will make her complete and will solve all of her problems and so um yeah, I mean, I, I liked the aspect of the female lead. I um didn't relate very much to the revenge and like seeking revenge out in that way. I don't like that doesn't jive with with my life outlook. Mm -hmm. Um, But I get it. I mean, I think they did a good job of Quentin Tarantino did a good job of justifying the reasons for the actions and. Um, my biggest thing with, with violence in movies is that if it's justified and if it makes sense with the storyline, then uh, my, my conscious and subconscious allows it to make sense. Yeah. And so this didn't necessarily do that, but it was, um, like it did, it did do that, but it, it didn't, you know, the over the top with a little bit of the, the, um, the fake blood and like the things that were a little bit more on the Kung Fu side. blood. <laughs> For that movie. Yeah. No kidding. 450 gallons. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> yeah. uh, the bulk of which I'm sure was that fight scene at the end of the first the yeah. one. Yeah. 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 Did you, so, did you honestly like, did you, did you like it or you're like, all right, I get why people like this, but maybe I didn't like it. Like, you know, to cut uh, to the chase in a way, like, is it truly a yeah. Palmer's plural pick? It's okay. I if think it's I would. I think I would watch it again. Oh, yeah. I think I would watch it again. That's fair. Um, I I actually watching it this time now have after seeing where he's matured to like Inglorious Bastards and um, the Hateful Eight. God, I love that movie. That's what I've heard is much more gruesome than. Uh, they're I don't all know. gruesome yeah i mean that's one where it's like maybe gruesome in a few short bursts whereas kill bill is um, much more throughout yeah okay right. um i watching this one after seeing all of those thinking 
this is really, I don't know. It just didn't grab me in the same way that it did when it, the first time I, I, I saw it back in, you know, way back in 2003. Oh, you mean it didn't hold up as well as, as you thought it yeah, might? Yeah. I, I, I really, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's a better way of saying it. Huh. I don't know. It just didn't, it's still good. It was still great. I, I still enjoyed watching it. <clears throat> but it just didn't speak to me the same way as it did back, you know, when I first became a fan of it. Yeah. And that's I think that that's fair. You know, that happens with movies. You grow out of stuff. You grow into stuff. Yeah. It's interesting the the way you just put that, because when I first saw the opening scenes in 2003, I was like, shit. I don't know. Maybe I've outgrown this. Like maybe this is too, or, yeah. or vice versa. Like I was too much for me. Whereas uh, now I'm, I can kind of brace myself for some of those extreme moments. And in some ways, might appreciate it, it more. I th- I think actually, uh, I I find the last scene of Volume Two. Like the fight with David Carradine. Yeah, fight. I if find, you can call it that, really, right? They're sitting I, I down find and that talking. Way more violent yeah. than the last fight of the with the Crazy Eighty Eight. Yeah, yeah. It, the the like the fight with the Crazy Eighty Eights. That stuff is with the blood fountains and like the perfect choreography, and and it it's so perfect. You know, it's not real. It's like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. It is a, it is a cartoon level of violence that you just can't. There's just a cutoff to it where you're like, oh. But when she fights, has that last fight with Bill, and they like throw the chairs back and forth, and she like hits, you know, she hits the sword down on the ground to like push her chair back up, and in that same moment, she just gets her hand up there, and she hits him. And then that, that last shot, he like looks up and he like coughs and there's just this fine little mist of blood, just enough to let you know he's not walking away from this. Mm-hmm. Not very far anyways. Yeah. He'll probably only walk Maybe about five, five steps. steps. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, and that to me is much more violent than any of that cartoony shit that happens with the fight with the crazy 88s. Mm. Um, and maybe it's also because of the intimacy that it builds up to that fight. What are you, what are you pointing at? I'm watching the YouTube video and me falling asleep. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You can see that. Saw, I'm seeing myself delay. dozing off. If you go to YouTube with delay. Yeah, if, if you you're watching to- us on YouTube, you just saw me doze off a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm holy cow. Pumpkin time is coming. We're pumpkining. <laughs> um, if you go to YouTube, Dave, you can see the live stream. Uh, that seems anytime. like I feel like that's that's tempting fate in a yeah. wheel of fortune. I'm not ready to spin. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, wheel of fortune. I'm not ready to spin. I keep out. looking um, at this. Uh, I mean, this is not super salient, but. The, the 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 box that I have. This is the first time he starts saying things like the fourth film from Quentin Tarantino. You know, like there's this finite. And the fourth film is both of those. Yeah, like that's the other thing too. Is like it's not. Yeah. He always considers it to be one film. And there's a good chunk of time. Mm. Like I, I meant to look up is Jackie Brown ninety six or ninety seven, but there's like not quite like ten years, but 
a long time between that third yeah. and fourth film. Yeah. Well, I think I think he took Jackie Brown's reception really hard. Oh, see, um, yeah, and I, I don't know how much of that I internalized. Like, you, you come off Pulp Fiction, so how could you go higher? And then you make an adapt. I always like Jackie Brown, so I don't... Um, I, I know. I like Jackie Brown, too. I think that's a great movie. I that, Man, that scene with uh, Robert De Niro and uh, what's-her-name in the parking lot where she's just nagging him and nagging him and nagging him, <laughs> yeah. and then he just shoots her. Oh, like, fuck, that's... Yeah. And, he's, and, yeah. then, and then he's like, the next shot is him <laughs> explaining that to Samuel L. Jackson, and he's like, and he's like, <laughs> damn! And you just shot her? <laughs> and he's like, I, I had to. You know, I, you know, I, 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 there was nothing you could yeah. do. I, I, I had to do. He's like... <laughs> She well, too far. She got too far sometimes. And, and like Samuel L. Jackson like thinks about it for a really long time. He's like, and then finally he's just like, well, you did what you had to do. Right. And that's the end of it. Stop it. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Why the fuck did you do that? Well, what if we um I know I know uh it's getting late there and we kind of delayed this and stuff, but um what if we applied some of the 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 book club idea of those three principles to this overall film to the three okay. of us uh, yeah. to kind of uh, move through because it's it's a it's a big movie a lot of things happen a lot of different yes. styles are represented uh, it's outside of Ash's wheelhouse though she seemed to tolerate it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I like, and to hear I think more. it's easier. I think it's easier to think of it as one big movie rather than separating it into oh, two. I yeah. mean, I do agree that there were definite differences between the first and the second, but the story for me was very fluid. Oh, oh no, the story yeah. was very fluid. And man, I got to touch on too. Like, there's there's a couple things. Like, so, uh, well, first off, the guy that that plays Pi May, and then the leader of the Crazy Eighty Eights. That's uh. Babe, how would you pronounce that? Chai? Chai Lu. Yeah. Whoa. Very Chai well Lu. Uh, uh, Thank you. <laughs> Chinese um, actor. And then there's Sonny Chiba, who's the Japanese actor. David Carradine's the American, the Western martial artist. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but there's one guy in here that deserves just a little bit of recognition too let me find him in here so i get his name right he just recently passed away um oh michael parks yeah yeah i was sad to hear that uh yeah quentin tarantino character he played two characters if i'm not he played two in this and probably and probably the best character in the the whole shebang, yeah, the wow. whole bloody ordeal. What is it? The whole, yeah, the whole uh, bloody uh, affair. The whole bloody affair. affair. Yeah, uh, he plays Bill's surrogate father, yeah. who's the last oh, person yeah. that she sees. The one who says that He's, Bill was was brave for shooting her. He would have just cut a cutter or something like that, and then his. Oh yeah, yeah. That's how he knew that he loved her. Yeah, was because he shot her. And then uh, he, she says, well, if you care about Bill so much, why are you telling me where he's at? And he's like, because it's what he would want me to do. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just and like, so that guy, 
Michael Parks. Is that his name, right? Yep. So they were doing a read-through of the script, and the guy that they had that had been cast to play that character was stuck in traffic. Hmm. And Quentin Tarantino, so Michael Parks was already there to read for the sheriff, which is the other character that he played. Oh, sure. Which is, is that the same sheriff he plays in from Dust Till Dawn? I think it might be. Yes, it is. It it is 100%. Um, uh, Actually, uh, Kevin Smith on Instagram, I think, did a tribute to Mike, like a, like a shout out to Michael Parks when he passed away. I know he loved him a lot. Yeah. It's really good. um, But he... He actually says my condolences also go out to Quentin Tarantino, who was Michael Parks' biggest fan. Yeah. Yeah. Tarantino uh, used to have, like, when that guy was a forgotten kind of actor of the 70s, Tarantino had VHS, like, compilations of his favorite Michael Parks scenes. And then eventually put him in all these movies. And then Kevin Smith, yeah. And, and then Kevin Smith ultimately did, and he was considered to be like an actor's actor and like a brilliant character actor, right? Yeah, he really was so, a singular talent. Like, there's not a Michael Parks. I mean, there is a Michael Parks type. Like, there is a Christopher Walken, right. but you can only right. go to one guy to get that. You know, right, right. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good way of saying that too. So he plays this Mexican pimp. At the, in the in the second to last scene, yeah. which is a the, real seventies kind of vibe too, like that's a little oh, bit yeah. culturally insensitive, uh, but yeah. that's kind of what it's it's a kind of an homage to what went on, like Charlton Heston did that in the seventies, and so <laughs> right, but so they did it sort of delicately, but what you know whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so they're having the script read the guy that he Michael Parks was not originally cast in that part. And that is, to me, is the greatest performance in the whole movie. Aside from Uma Thurman. Like, Uma Thurman totally owns the Brian oh, yeah. character. The kid's uh, good, too. Like, her, her, her daughter is very natural. and uh, uh, Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, and, and Michael Madsen. A lot of people are, are good. But, but I know A lot of people mean. are good. But this guy is, just, like, this scene just fucking stands out in the whole movie. Uh, so, but he wasn't the person that was originally cast for that part. They go to do the script read. The dude that was cast to play that character was stuck in traffic. <laughs> and so Quentin Tarantino went to Michael Parks and said, listen, you're already reading for the sheriff. Do you mind if the dude's not here yet? Can you just read for this <laughs> part? And Michael Parks is like, yeah, no problem. So in that time, from Quentin Tarantino saying that to them ultimately getting to that scene... Michael Parks created that character and read it so well that Quentin Tarantino called the dude that was stuck in traffic and was like, uh, we recast your, your part. I'm Never so sorry. Like, nice. And then gave that scene to that part to Michael Parks. And man, such a smart decision because that is such a powerful scene. Yeah. Uh, it's like she's at the peak of her power. And this man is 80 years old and has been in power for that entire time, essentially. Oh, 80? Oh, man. He looks as good yeah. for 80 as, as Ernie Hudson does for 71. Well, so. that's his character is <laughs> supposed to be in his 80s. Yeah. And so I'm sure Michael, I mean, I know Michael right, Parks right, is yeah. in his 80s, but, still, but like, like, his character yeah. is, yeah. We're 900 like, you know, years old. You reach, look as good. You will not. <laughs> <laughs> now put me down. Yeah. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> so, so I was wondering just uh, 
I'm still a little hung up on this idea of this movie so far outside of your wheelhouse. So Ash, what are like a handful of scenes that made a big impact on you in terms of like, that was cool. That was fucked up. That was amazing. You know, there's a lot, this move, these movies are impacted with so much. I'm just yes. wondering some of what stood out for you. The hospital scene, totally awful, horrific, like really uncomfortable. Same thing with the coffin scene. I was so uncomfortable like itching in my seat did not want to watch that scene um gosh i'm trying to think of like the the most extreme ones are the ones that stand out first and then i have to go wait a second let's like i can almost rewatch this movie just because i think it all so there's so much that happens no in such a short out. amount let's of time that. it was yeah it was no it was not get out but it was <laughs> also like there was a lot that happened and um, I think I probably could have stood to do a little bit more homework the way that I did with get out with kill bill um, post. Well, viewing. in all fairness too, we could have had you up here an hour earlier. That probably would have helped. Too. Yeah. Well, another thing too, <laughs> as amazing as your uh, research for get out was like, I think the, um, one of the most interesting things about this segment is really just the dynamic between the two of you naturally. So your natural well, impulse you. is enough. And that's why, and that's the thing I'm most curious about. It's like, how did this grab you? Like, holy crap. Um, yeah. You don't need to, to, to I mean. What did you, th school what did us. you think about? Um, <laughs> so instead of having to come up with scenes, how about we propose a couple scenes to her and get oh, her Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that works. Crack so um, what, <laughs> what about the Pyme sequence where. When she's being trained. When she's being trained by Pai Mei, um, that that to me is almost as, that whole segment is almost as hard to watch as her being buried alive, which is funny, is because they both happen at the same time. Yeah, that that's I, I still can't remember what the big toe thing is, but definitely mm. when she's buried alive. Another thing too, man, you don't get this without you do not get this without Bruce Lee. That what she's doing is the one inch punch, and I can kind yeah. of do this. I can knock a guy a few feet back from that point just because I studied it so much as a kid you can hold a phone book I'll do it sometime <laughs> but but yeah where you wow. twitch your whole body but basically you don't move more than an inch and the, yeah. and that's what she does though but she does it repeatedly till her knuckles yeah, are that's, bloody that's and she really punches hard. through that motherfucker oh. and the yeah. sound the noises that they included there like you could hear her skin like mashing against the wood and oh, oh, oh. yeah that was a little yeah. I, that was a little uh, gruesome. I don't, I mean, and how about Pi fucking May, but... where he does it twice? He puts his whole fucking fist through that. Oh yeah, that yeah. big giant plank. Yeah, and and he's just it, like, I love it where he's like, since that's my arm now, I need it to be strong. Like I want it to be strong. <laughs> yeah, and uh, wants to put her to this work. So, so what was your reaction to that? Like how. That to me was the empowering, like that was her getting her gumption and like building up her strength to be able to go like it was in a very different way. Like the that transition in the movie Enough with Jennifer Lopez, where they like, <laughs> I mean, OK, so this is very loose association. So let's no, I got it. Don't no, get crazy. Just, crazy I, lo I love it. This is the perfect place for the a loose association. That's what she <laughs> very said, so. loose association. <laughs> but like there's a period in that movie, That's too, where. <clears throat> where Jennifer Lopez is like, no, I'm not going to let myself be abused anymore. And she like strengthens up and like goes out and kicks major ass. And it's pretty awesome. 
Yeah. And Uma Thurman goes through that same kind of transition period where she's like, no, F this. If I'm going to go out and get this whole shit settled, I'm going to I'm going to take care of it on my terms and in my way. And I'm going to make sure that I'm strong enough to fight back. And so that's what she does. And so that training, that training sequence and that um, for me was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like now is now is her time to rise and kick ass and like prove her prove what you know stand up for what she what she believes in and and so i i really i like that scene i like that sequence what do you guys rather. think it was well, i never really thought about this so sorry if you don't have an answer because i don't but why did why did bill take her to pi may like why because at that point she didn't have a vendetta or anything like what what's the i think he put i think he sent all the deadly viper assassins uh, to pi may to get trained the fox oh. Force five think, okay <laughs> Wait, yeah. so she wasn't when she was and, training with Pai Mei, it wasn't training for her to go out and get revenge against Bill. No, no Bill dropped her the off there. Bill dropped her Remember, off. Remember, that's how it started because Bill went up and like came back down. He's all beat to piss. Yeah. And then and he he's gives like, her hey, a bag Pai Mei will train you, which means like Pai Mei kicked his ass. Yeah. To get him, like, he obviously made him fight him to right. agree to like. Yeah, it's train like train it's like the Bruce yeah. Lee thing. Probably oh, it's like if you totally can beat me, then I'll around. train your I'll train your blonde girl. But if you can't beat me, then I won't. And and maybe right. Bill did, or Jeez. I don't know, <laughs> or maybe he still decided to like train him or train her or whatever. But that's when he comes down and he says like he uh, hates Westerners, yep. despises cas- Caucasians, and can't and absolutely loathes women. Right, uh, and, and she's all three. Um, but I, I I think the justification to that, and there's so there's two things that you have to kind of go with then that all of the deadly viper assassins went to Pai Mei is L then, and this is the second part of my question then. So what impact did that have on you when you find out Pai Mei's fate when L is fighting the bride? Ugh. And you find out what L did yeah. to him. He's like, that's right, I killed your teacher. Yeah. And then yeah, for those who've seen Fist of Fury, you know what happens if you kill a motherfucker's teacher. So I mean, why did you kill my teacher then? Why, 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 why? Why did you kill my teacher? Sorry, that's for Mojo. If you knew how many times that <laughs> happened last week, it was awesome. It's intense. Like, that's you don't do that, and then I'll yeah. find out why you yeah. don't kill the bitch's teacher. <laughs> well, throughout the story, I became emotionally attached to Uma Thurman and to her character and to her character's situation. So by the time Elle says that she killed Paime, I'm like, I'm right there with Uma Thurman. And like, I would was not expecting her to do what she did. But I, I felt like it was a, it was a, a reaction that wasn't that out of, it also means that L was the last Line. of the Deadly Viper yeah. assassination squad to be recruited. Hmm. Um, Why do you say that? Because she killed Pai Mei, so none of the rest of them. Yeah, no one else would have been able to, been able to oh, be trained. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. It's funny that's to true. imagine, like, uh, what's, what's Michael Madsen's character? Bud. Bud. It's... Can you imagine Bud there? You know what I mean? Like that's a movie I, I want to I, see. I couldn't. Ima- I, I couldn't imagine Bud wielding the the katana, like the Hattori Hanzo katana. Um, that that the idea that totally blows my mind. But I think that's. I think that's the whole point of Bud's character. Is he? 
let the life get to him so much that he's he, fat Elvis. He, he's yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, I mean, and, and it's all summed up in his speech where he's like, we deserve to die for what we yeah. did. All right. Like yeah. she deserves her revenge. And that's a lifetime of being Bill's brother, which means basically he probably for the bulk of that life just did whatever Bill asked him to. Which, which a lot of that killing, was probably killing bad. As Bill says like killing human being, including killing human beings. Yeah. Yep. Bad and stuff. doing bad stuff. And yeah. he just got to a point where he would rather clean out. That's why we see him in a strip club plunging a fucking toilet after yep. a stripper plugged it up with shit. Is because he would rather do that than live that life anymore. Yeah. That's interesting. That's what like with the with the that squad as they disperse you know <laughs> Vivica A. Fox she basically as a kid is trying to live yep. like in suburban normal life. life and yep. um, the, the bride tried to escape to like work at a record store and have a kid yep. with some with Johnny Smith you know in Everyman yep. and uh, and Bud retreated into you know drinking pina coladas and <laughs> working at a strip club and uh, Elle was still right there with him I guess but um and, yeah, and uh, you can't get Lucy out. Lou, like she went. Oh, she went know, to lead the Yakuza, like the, right? Like the queen, she's the yeah, charge, right? The queen of the Japanese underworld. So, but put there by Bill. That's the piece that you have to come back to. Like, mm. Bill is still over her, you know? Like, she, he, he helped get her into that position. So he has. A connection to that power it's not power he directly wants right it's almost like the deadly viper assassination squad was supposed to end up being i'm probably not saying that right is that what they were called i think that sounds right i want to call them the fox force five which obviously they're not but that's, that's a fan fiction. theory <laughs> that is actually a fan theory that kill bill is the pilot that oh. uma thurman oh. shot oh my god that that's a fan theory, a leading fan theory. Hashtag so do you remember? Do you remember? Great. Do you remember in Pulp Fiction when John Travolta takes Uma Thurman out? He's like, "Do you want to hear my Fox Force Five joke?" Uh, I can't wait. Samuel L. Jackson. He's like, "I don't know anything about her." He's like, "Well, apparently she's an actress. She was on a pilot." What's a pilot? And uh, you know those shows they put on television? I don't watch TV. Yes, but you do know that there is this invention called television, and on this invention, people watch shows. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I don't know the rest of it. That's pretty good, though. Yeah. I was going to just sit here and let this keep rolling. Uh, like, how long can these two? So, basically, um, Mia Wallace was an actress who shot a p one pilot called Fox Force 5, which was about a group of female assassins. Okay. And her assassin was the deadliest woman with an, a blade. Like the Fuck. deadliest woman in the world For with a blade. sure that's where this came from. Of course yeah, it did. Uh, yeah, right? And it's like the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad and there's five of them and like and she's the deadliest woman in the world with a blade and mm. like I should have been so, like Mamba. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Vivica Fox is so awesome. Whoa! Oh! 
Okay. Well, um, Ash is, Ash is, is pumpkining. Let's wrap this up. Yeah. So any other so, scenes that grabbed you, but I'm also kind of curious, like Tarantino is often accused of being sort of style over substance. And there's so much style in, in this movie in terms yes. of like the various references to other movies. You got animation, you got, it'll switch to black and white. Yeah. It, it ha, it'll switch kind of visual approaches from scene to scene was Absolutely. that stuff interesting to you? Help hold your attention, or was it all kind of secondary to the story? It was interesting. It was a little bit confusing at first until I got with it that it was going to continue to do that. Like once I, I mean, I think you might have even kind of set that up for me a little bit as like this is an homage to kung fu. This is a yeah, you know, supposed to to do justice to all of the classics or or sort of make you think about that. Um, so. It wasn't. It was. It was a little bit jarring at first to have it continue switching back and forth and like be hokey and then be like more serious and intense. So um, I think I would watch it again just to get a clear, um, probably to get a clear line of all those events in my head, if that makes sense. Like sure. because it all happened so fast and it was my first time taking it all in and we watched them back to back. I think it would be nice to give myself a little bit more time to do that and to watch them again with a clear mind. And um, yeah, I think I would probably have a different experience with it if I watched it again. So I'd I think be we would do it, it better if we were able to get through each volume at yeah. least in one sitting. Too. Yeah, in one uh, sitting. Yeah, it, it's really you... hard. Oh no, I was uh, sorry. Go ahead. My mind was more of a, a closing. It's question. it's just because of the way that Quentin Tarantino like puts his movies together it, it makes it hard to not watch them all in one sitting to keep track of stuff yeah so. yeah true all right what's your wrap-up question well so my wrap-up question is so far we've done seven we've done get out both of which were unlikely choices for your previous record of like kind of taste in films but as you're gaining fair. this kind of uh, confidence in your husband's judgment. Um, it's still, I think, an interesting thing to evaluate. Is it a Palmer's plural pick? Like, do you truly both like it? That's not a, a mandatory thing, <laughs> you know? And uh, so I, I think, I guess I'm just wondering what your gut reaction is. Is it, is it uh, like, yeah, that, cause get out obviously was a, that, you know, you came enthusiastic on pick. So yeah, enthusiastic, yeah, enthusiastic pick. Yeah. Yeah, um, I would, I would categorize up. this one as like, um, I would watch it again if I was with somebody who wanted to watch it. But if it was my decision, I probably wouldn't watch it again. Fair enough. Is it a pick though? Oh, is yeah, it a that's pick? True. Is I mean, is it a pick? As in, like, yes, I would watch it again. So no, yes, um, is that is that pick, how? Like, a pick is just like a thumbs like it's this Cole Ebert version of thumbs up okay. or thumbs down. Then yes, it is a pick because it was a good movie. Okay. Yeah. It was a good movie. So, right. um, what about seven? Thumbs up or thumbs up? Thumbs down? up for sure. Pick, right? Pick. Palmer's Did you like seven, pick. seven better than uh, Kill Bill? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, a, fair. that's a sense yeah. I'm getting. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's complicated. Life is not I'm, so black and white. Sometimes it'll be fun, it's it'll be fun that you two will get <laughs> yeah. to talk about movies that, like, Dave is learning more about my movie style and, like, what I'm into. And so... Yeah. And so are uh, our listeners. Yeah. yeah. You know, though, the, so, this has evolved definitely into uh, this dynamic of your husband always choosing. 
I would be open to an idea of it of flipping that a little bit. <laughs> maybe, oh man, maybe <laughs> he is terrified of that idea because he knows it'll likely be a chick flick romantic comedy movie that he's not uh, he's not excited about already. Maybe you and I Even could theoretically. Then, ooh, I oh, like that plan. There's a lot of those that I do dig, and uh, if we could find one that. You'd at least have you, you wouldn't get ganged up on. We might be able yeah. to extol the virtues and see if we couldn't uh, bring him over to the to the to the light side, as it were. Uh, I, I would know, totally I be know. open to that, I Dave. Know. I think that He's would like, be awesome. I don't know, like, I don't no, know no, no. How, the, how I like this. <laughs> it's my girl. Thanks so oh, much. Like, thanks so, oh time. man! Oh, no, thanks so much for listening, everybody. <laughs> That's my girl. Don't you touch her. <laughs> Dave, it was wonderful as always to talk with you. Likewise, Babe, thank so you. Much. Thank you for watching yeah. this movie and for joining us. So strap late shirts at night look so night. much better on you than they do on me, by the way, babe. I this love is it. a strap shirt. Is That's that what you? That's a strap shirt. Yeah. I wear them, people's. Well, yeah. it's hot in this house. It so. is hot in here. And the air's so, off. And it's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. So Have a lovely evening. Thanks for joining us, babe. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Dave, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Um, Let's put some like let's give another shout out to our sponsors. Oh, hell we'll yeah. Throw those bumpers on there real quick. Hey, Palmer here. Dave and I are so excited to be doing this long walk short drink book club reading of the Dead Zone by Stephen King. Materials for this project were provided by the site bookrags.com. With over six thousand study guides available on their website, bookrags.com has everything you need to study and ace your lit classes. Enter the promo code podcast to get fifteen percent off your subscription. Thanks so much to the great people over at bookrags.com for helping to make this book club possible. So keep listening and keep reading. Have a good one. This episode of Long Walk Short Drink is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com LWSD. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Once again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash LWSD. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, everybody, seriously, thanks thanks a lot. Have a great evening and uh, afternoon or morning, whenever you happen to be yes. listening to this. Um, remember chapters 7 through 14? Uh, for next week's book club, I'll say the questions real quick again. How are the reactions to Johnny's powers effective and relevant compared to today? What parallels exist in all of the Stillman scenes? Uh, and what thought comes to mind on Johnny's mom potentially also having a sixth sense? Mm. So uh, we'll save those for next week. Uh, good luck. This is Palmer. This is Ash. This is Dave. Signing off. Have a good one, guys. Cheers. Long walk, short drink. Long walk, short drink. You're taking that long walk, oh, short drink. This was a long walk, fucking short drink. Yeah! We'll get there eventually. He swallowed and heard an audible click. With Smith, he grabbed his hand. He had felt a sudden onrush. Bad feelings. <laughs> Excuse me. 
childlike you know, intensity. Crude images of revulsion that assaulted him. He had found himself remembering a picnic in the country when he had been seven or eight, sitting down, putting his hand in something warm. Slippery. <laughs> Sorry, I was just like killing time by reading the back of the jacket. Summary. <laughs> uh, in in Chris Watkins' voice, though. Trying, yeah. I, I'm realizing like I need to re-familiarize myself with the with his uh, his cadences and timbre. <laughs> 